Welcome to the Mega Blast Podcast. I'm your host, Jason McDonald. My goal is to get to the truth through conversation. The Mega Blast Podcast is produced by Arts and Opinion, an online journal housed at the Archives of Canada. Visit us at artsandopinion.com. I hope you enjoy today's guest. Welcome to the Mega, ba- Mega Blast podcast. Uh, I'm here with Selge Vinay, my friend. Welcome, Selge. Yeah, thank you very much, Jason. Yeah. I actually pronounced my name We Met. By we the Met. Way. Pardon yes, me. Apparently, we're half half among We Met. We Met. So pronounce one way or the other. Interesting. It's an ongoing debate, oh, including okay. at my Christmas family okay. reunions. Where, you know, my son-in-law, you know, rolls his eyes, say, oh, here they go again. We met. Yeah, we met, we met. (laughs) Interesting. That raises some immediate questions of mine. Like, I wonder how far back that goes. Do you have any idea? Because of archaic pronunciations and spellings. So, the name comes from Jean we met, who came here 350 years ago to Quebec City, was registered. And it's known that he had several kids, including four sons, whose progeny are the ancestors of all the we met we met in North America, (laughs) of which there are tens of thousands. And yet there are hardly any we met we met in France at this point. There are some, but very rare name there. Here, it's not that rare a name. And there are many in the States because there's the diaspora from, from of emigration from Quebec. So yeah. 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 So it's interesting. But the, my theory is that my ancestor, Jean Wimet, came in, was illiterate, like most people getting off the boat. He sure. said to the greffier there at the <laughs> port, my name is Jean Wimet. The Gratif wrote it however he thought, H-O-U-Y-M-E-L-T, whatever, you see, yeah. because it's been spelt many ways. So it was phonetic. The, the ancestor was just saying his name as he knew it, and then people wrote it how they thought. Now, that way, at that time, E-T could be pronounced et. Even in, you know, mm. Montreal, there's a history of that. I read about archaic yeah. pronunciations in Montreal. Yeah. And like Penet, you know, it was Penet. Was was Penet. Penet. Oh, interesting, you know, I didn't know that. Things like that. Yeah. Uh, uh, the Demers. street, you're talking about the street yeah. in the East End or of Montreal. Yeah, there's a Monsieur Demers, you know, it's E-R-S. Yeah. Why do you say Demers? Good question. You know, so it's not Demers, his yeah. name. He knows, you see. So things like that. My theory is that the name always from the beginning was We Met. Then, (laughs) as modern French was developing, and it came to be that normally you would pronounce that as eh, so people started saying it like that. Now, I think a whole branch of the family decided, well, that's not the correct pronunciation, so now we have to spell it E-T-T-E to to, uh, emphasize the correct spelling. Otherwise, you think, why would some 
M-E-T have become the M-E-T-T-E, and they're all related. Don't okay, forget. so there are people with with E-T-T-E. Yes. That does, I've never seen that spelling, personally. Yes. No, I've only seen obviously yours. Obviously, that can yeah. only be spell, uh, pronounced with that. But that's the controversy. My theory is there would be no reason for a Wiener to suddenly want to become a Winnet by spelling yeah, E-T-T-E. Yeah, it makes and sense. And yet, a Winnet who's starting to see his name pronounced A instead of it, would clarify it by adopting mm. a more modern spelling. Are there any people with just like the accent aigu, like something like that, where there's no T at the end? No, of any I kind? haven't. That's, okay, that. so there's only either the one T or the two T-E? There are some other rarer spellings. Too. But they always have a T of some kind. It's, yeah. Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. Just because, I'm just thinking about your theory, because yeah. it, there would have to be a T. That's well, interesting. it's a name that has yeah. Germanic origins in France, you know, from, from way, you know, way I back. I don't know, 1,300 years ago or something. So that's that's a really cool introduction uh, because one of one of the uh, reasons I, one of the, you know just to outline what I want to do here I want to talk about two things one of which is you know your experience with Montreal of course um, also some of your family history we've we've already done that but just before I get into that I, I just there's a not a similar history but my family my name McDonald mm -hmm. is spelled multiple different ways there's right. M C D O N A L D there's right. M A C D O N A L D there's the large D the small D um, I've I've even read that there were some spellings where there was an M apostrophe, like you know, like O'Donnell or yeah, O'Connell. Yeah, I've yeah. never seen those, but my uncle okay. said that they did exist they in old yeah. And but so it all means son of Donald. Yeah, right? <laughs> technically, yeah. And then of course there's a big discussion. It seemed my origins seem to have been in Scotland, even though the family actually came here from Ireland. Mm. We were Scots Irish or Scotch Irish or mm. something. Anyway. Um, so for a long time, you know, my name is spelt M-A-C originally, and and one time we were visiting with my father, we were visiting in Manitoba where my, my father and my grandfather were born, and my aunt, um, Jean, whose name looks like Jean, but she, it's pronounced Jean, <laughs> right? She she is now over 100, she's still alive, and, she, and wow. so somehow this topic came up about the spellings of the name, because mm -hmm. I like to spell it M-C, even though I'm born... M-A-C. And she said that it used to be in our own family, there some of them spelt it uh, M-A-C, some M-C, like there were different. And then they thought at one point, they thought, well, we better standardize it because mm -hmm. we're all from the same clan, right? Mm -hmm. So they decided on M-A-C, um, capital D-O-N-A-L-D. And the reason was because, because uh, the, the, the first, the reason was because of the first prime minister. Yeah. So they had an intense discussion within the family of what to do, you know, with these, uh, with uh, MACMC. And it was decided that because the first prime minister of the country was MAC capital D, we thought, okay, we would use that spelling in honor of Canada's mm, okay. first prime minister. And so it got standardized that way. So I, I spell my name, I still, I mean, on my, you know, on all my identification, it's MAC. But I use the MC spelling just as, a, I think it's kind of like a, um, a wink to the idea that names maybe aren't always so rigidly spelled. I mean, just like you were describing a minute ago about the greffier there, you know, it's, mm -hmm. uh, there was a time when people spelled things more mm -hmm. loosely. Okay. Um, so let's, why don't we continue with your family history? I, you know, if you, you could talk a little bit about you, where your parents came from and your background and yeah. then how you grew sure. up and, and sure. so on. Yeah. Well, it's really a lot 
to do in Montreal because my grandparents all settled in Montreal from areas like uh, Valleyfield or La Nantière, things like that. And uh, they basically, my parents were born and grew up. My mother first in Oshalaga area, then later in, um, where, which is the, called the Parois Saint Stanislas. You know, it's part of the plateau. Yeah. And yeah. we're talking in the vicinity of Mont Royal to, uh, to Laurier okay. and, uh, and Papineau. Okay. Yeah. You know, Eastern going, plateau. Going yeah. east. Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> going west, I mean, like east of Papineau. That's the sorry, west eastern. Of Pap, west yeah. of Papineau. But it's the eastern section of the plateau, yes, you could say. Yeah. Kind of, yeah. Ish, you know, yes. yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Like west, yeah, it's it, east of yeah. the St. Denis area right. and all that. Exactly, yeah. So, that's where they're from, and that's where my parents met. Okay. Uh, yeah. My mother was best friends with my father's kid sister. Okay. Yeah. And wow. so that's how they met. Interesting. So my, local local kids in the neighborhood, and they kind of had connections. I and guess. They, well, yeah. They, anyway, my my dad kind of got in the picture, and he was the uh, the sav. You know, he was the guy who was going to be the good marriage prospect that the mother thought. You see, really? because really? the mother kind of didn't like some of the boyfriends my mom had early on. She's a bit of a wild girl, my mom, you know? Interesting. A bit like Carla's mother, yeah. uh, you know, out, they wanted to go dancing and yeah. smoke and, and like that, you see? So, and they had boyfriends and my mom, then she... So kinda, could, what era are we talking about here? The this, 40s? We're talking about late 40s. Late yeah. 40s, right. Okay. Uh, end yeah. of the 40s, because right. they... They married, I believe, was fifty or something okay. like that, and I was born in fifty-two. Born in fifty-two. Okay. But my dad, by then, had been in the Air Force for a few years. Well, yeah, I wanted to ask you about that because I've read. I think your father passed away a few years ago. He lived yeah, a very he, long time. Yeah, right? he, he he died four years. Ago. Yeah, and he was well into his ninety-one. 90s. Yeah. Wow. Okay. So. Um, you mentioned like, it's a very interesting thing about how he wanted to join the army. He wanted to join the, the you know the RCAF or something like that to go fight the Nazis. Is that not the RCAF at first? He wound up in the RCAF okay. after the war. Okay. But during the war, he just tried to sign up. But he was too young, right? He, he, that... Well, it's not just yeah. the age. He was sixteen. Yeah, to but, be sixteen. Okay. But you could at sixteen, I think you could have passed in the army. You see? Yeah. Because you'd have been a tall. You know, heavier set guy. Yeah. So right. they said, "Sure, you're eighteen. Yeah. yeah. You know, but my dad was five foot six okay. and not big. He built bulked up later because he started doing physical, uh, you know, exercise. He started doing bodybuilding. But of course, you can't build your height. He right? did, yeah, yeah, yes. yeah, yeah, yeah. But he yeah. didn't have the body built <laughs> yeah. at sixteen. Yeah, right, right. So they said, "No, get out of here, kid." But he was. It's funny because unlike some other French Canadians who basically what, yeah. had the notion they wanted to stay out of this mess, I had other uncles who went off into the the Laurentians. Yeah, the hide away. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, my mom told me about MPs coming to their house looking for her older brothers. 
and they ran out the back. Amazing, yeah. You know, so things I, you know, like, I just interject. I've heard all kinds of stories about that. About mm-hmm. I have a friend who lives in the Inner Gaspé Z, and we were I was there visiting. He's a French Canadian as well, mm-hmm. and we we went out somewhere to go canoeing or something. And he started talking about how his ancestors or his grandparents mm-hmm. had gone and hid up in the mountains there, yeah. in between the main border and the. This is sort of a common thing among many mm-hmm. French Canadians, and so that's what actually what I was interested in is your father seemed to be. You know, not like the others well, of his he, people. He was let's earnest say. about it. He right? saw something wrong with the picture. With the yeah, Nazis, of course. At his age, there's also the aspect of the adventure. Man yeah, he wants to go off right. an adventure yeah. away from his poor, you know, yeah. beginnings and so forth. He's very poor, my dad. And uh, but then he saw during, you know, the, before the war, even he was young, but he told me he would see. Uh, members of fascist organizations mm, in Montreal right, right. going to meetings. He said, I'd see them go Italians with their and, armbands, yeah, yeah. you know, wow. on, their, on their arm. And he said to me, you should see when the war was declared, you should see how fast those assholes put away all those <laughs> armbands. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah, that's good. But my that's dad good. actually seemed offended mm. by what the Nazis and the fascists represented, he thought they were running roughshod over Europe. So he said, that's not right. He wanted to go fight. Interesting. And, uh, so he I, was on the right side of history, Well, in that right? Sense, in yeah. that sense. I mean, I hate that terminology, but he, he was, yeah, he was able to see that there was this menace to... Well, I guess, you know, right? that's the impression I had from yeah. things he's told me, that even as a young man, he thought something was wrong with this yeah. picture. Yeah. And it, you know, it, it, it just gave him a sense of uh, indignance about it. Interesting. So he said, yeah. this is what I should do. But as it turned out, then he picked up bodybuilding. <laughs> right. After the war, he got really physically very fit. And then he joined the Air Force. Can, can I just ask something quickly about that? So, so just he didn't have any reservations. I mean, many French Canadians had you know, a kind of, not a revulsion, but they didn't want to fight for the British crown for the obvious yeah. reason that the British crown was seen as a symbol of something mm-hmm. that Francophones didn't yeah. want to be allied with. Yeah. So he, it didn't bother him at all? Or he, he thought he was maybe to. proud of the British crown that some French no, Canadians were? No, he wouldn't have been specifically no. proud of it. But I don't think it annoyed him in that way. I don't think he was so as concerned about that. Right, right. So anyway, okay. and yeah. then he went on, like I said, he built up his life from his days in an orphanage, you know. His mother abandoned him at five because his dad died when he was four. His dad, that's a Montreal connection. His dad worked, you know, all the balconies and and wrought iron spiral staircases, all that. This was his job. He was a blacksmith. Walk-ups. Yes. Walk-ups, yeah. He was doing... Balcony railings. Boy, that you can't get much more Montreal than that, yeah. right? I mean, Rod Island, that yes. was his job. Yeah. He fathered 10 children, wow. of which my dad was the second last. And then he died. So he left. Some had already gone from home. But the younger and his wife was left destitute. And then she kept the baby, the one that befriended my mother. Right. And she sent... My dad and his older brother right to the orphanage. My dad, she one day she tells him they go to Central Station in Montreal. We're gonna go for a train ride, Adrien. You know, <laughs> uh, 
Oh, yippee, you know, he's five years old by now. She says at one point, you want an ice cream cone? And what kid at five doesn't want an ice cream? Yeah, sure, sure. He's there waiting for his mom to come back with an ice cream cone. She never came back. Oh, my God. Her aunt and uh, some nuns that were from the convent of the mother's sisters, who were nuns, and they sent a nun to pick up Adrien. She wow. came up to Adrien and she says, uh, it's little man, yeah, yeah. you're coming with me now. It's like, what? He didn't see his mother again till after when she visited This is your grandmother. You're my your my grandmother. paternal grandmother. Right, paternal. Yeah. So yeah. I didn't know what happened to her after that, except that my dad wind up back as a teenager. He was back with his mother. And they had no money. They, they were very poor. What were, you know, that raises a question, actually, uh, the social status, they were poor, lower mm. strata. Were they, you know, sort of working class? Yeah, it was all mecha- pretty you know, much working class. Uh, because my, it, yeah. my uh, paternal, my maternal grandfather worked for CN. Okay. Right. So he was basically a, a train, what do you call it, conductor, you know, oh, okay. goes up and down uh, yeah. The trains. So he's always all over these trains, up and down the Laurentians. We got free train rides. I was going to say, it's got to have some they benefits. They had a place right? in Laurentians to go yeah. to. My grandparents had a nice spot nice. up yeah. in La Sage, okay. north of saint Jérôme, yeah. which is now part of Prévost. Prévost. Okay. And uh, also Shawbridge is now part of Prévost. Right. That's all adjacent. Shawbridge at the, uh, the institute there for... Yeah. You know, delinquents and so Oh, right, right. Yeah, yeah I think so, I... Yeah. Where well, we didn't come into contact with that. But it was a nice spot. Like, you know, it's a whole other tangent to describe. But basically, they were all working class. Working class. Okay. And, but the fact that my dad's dad died... Mm-hmm. Made it much they worse, obviously. Yeah. They just didn't have their finances yeah. arranged. Like nowadays, what if I die? Insurance, but what did they have? And there was Nothing. no social services to the, the church was effectively Nothing. the social services yeah. in those days. So right, I mean that's what the nuns were doing, coming and you know taking them. He, right. he, they were. My dad wound up in this orphanage, a notorious orphanage. I forgot what the name of that goddamn place is, but it's yeah. up in the West Island. Really? Like around St. Laurent, like going toward West Island, between Vincent the highways. There's an enormous lot there between the 20 and the 40 that mm-hmm. you could still see buildings in the background. That's been abandoned for many years. Interesting. That's like a yeah. ghost town in Montreal Island. It has a terrible reputation. And that's where my dad was. Wow. And he was abused as a child. I mean, oh, there he was physically, psychologically abused. I don't know, sexually, maybe, I don't know, Who knows? you know, but he had a rough time. Carla's dad also had a rough time in a similar orphanage. So, it, you know, wasn't a good scene, but my dad picked himself up and he got know, himself he, together. You know, he raised four kids. Yeah. I'm the eldest. You yeah. know, I have uh, three siblings. We're all not too crazy. And he was a great father. Great. He was always oh, yeah. there for you. And, he, uh, you if know. anything, yeah. he was not a strict disciplinarian. Uh, he, you know, as far as a military man, the funny <laughs> thing is he did, he never rose to very high rank, you see, because he was not a leader of men right. in the sense right. of being hard-nosed and being able to tell people what to do and all this. He was too mild-mannered. Interesting. See, right. he was a gentle guy. 
you know, with a corny sense of humor. And, you know, he, he was a mild-mannered fellow. He couldn't shoot straight, too. Oh, really? You know, yeah. they had, even in the Air Force, they had field exercises at times. Did he have and bad vision or something? No, no, it just no, wasn't but good. Yeah. He told me <laughs> that one of his buddies be beside him. His buddy would put a couple in his target just so he wouldn't look so bad. <laughs> it seems very common among soldiers. Though there's one who can't get through something, the other guy helps him. Yeah. But yeah. My, my dad just thought, you know, whatever. He had these reasons for thinking, ah, oh, I was passed over, whatever. But really, I could see superior officers looking at him. He's not, He's not a leader. A guy yeah. who's going to tell yeah. people be tough with minded with people so because he didn't do that with you and your brother no, and your siblings right he he, yeah. he never hit us except for one well-deserved whomping <laughs> you know <laughs> well you deserved it right yes i did no it's, I, I i love stories like that I, I think they're they're actually quite i mean they're relatively common because you hear you hear it's very commonly assumed you know that that people who are abused and they just go on and they abuse and that very often does happen there's a very mm. common pattern but the reality of game theory is such that if that were true over human history, that every time a person was abused, that they would go on abused, we would all be abused yes, and abusers. Yes, it would have been a regressive and it would just, uh, Right, the entire world would, you know, would eventually, given the thousands of years of evolution. So I love stories like your father where there's a person who really goes, suffers through things like that and then says, you know what? I'm not. They made, not he must have made I a con exactly. He, he probably made a conscious decision. Yeah. I'm going to be right with my kids, and I'm not going to do like I know I had a rough time, and I'm not going to repeat that. But usually, it's conscious. It's like well, I you think know. my dad didn't make decisions like that. Like for example, trying to join the army during the war. That's a big decision. Totally. You know, and yeah. then start committing to bodybuilding. Seriously, yeah. Yeah. you should have seen my dad's physique. <laughs> He competed later on after he got divorced from my mom. Really? He competed against younger men in bodybuilding competitions Amazing. and yeah. often won. Wow! So that was him. That was his thing. He loved the sun. He loved modernity. So he didn't really like all these nice old tree-lined streets in Montreal so much because he <laughs> thought it hid too much sun. He said, "Why don't they cut down all these big <laughs> trees to let the sun in the apartment?" That's hilarious. You know? That's great. So that was him. But he was a cool guy. You know, he introduced me to some interesting things. You know, he, he had a stereo. He was an early stereo adopter. He had a record collection that I he would let me play. Wow, you know, so from a very young age, you know, from eight, I would play records on the stereo. Wow. You know, so What then, kind of music did he listen to? I'm curious. Uh, well, on the one hand, you know, lounge kind of sort of exotic big guy, band you know? type stuff. No, is that from not that so era? much? No. You know, London Phase Four stereo records. Yeah, you know, yeah. Lost Machicambos, the One Hundred and One <laughs> Strings, Go Hawaiian. You know, uh, <laughs> okay. Bert Campford. You know, uh, he liked Les Paul. He thought Les Paul was a genius. He thought Ima Sumac was brilliant. You know. He told me about Orson Welles. He says, wow. you know, one day he sat me down, one evening, it was a bit late, he sat me down with him to watch Citizen Kane. Oh, yeah. Because yeah. he said, this is an important movie, you know? And uh, you've obviously seen it before. And he told me all about Orson Welles' famous War of the World broadcast oh, yeah. Well, yeah. In, in the yeah. 30s, yeah. which created a panic, you know, as he told me all about that. Maybe. So, you yeah. know, this is the kind of you know, rapport with my dad, you know, and he was good with the kids, you know, like I said, he was not abusive, he was not mean, he was mm -hmm. not a mean man. 
My late wife, Helen, used to refer to my dad. She said, you know, he is a gentleman yeah. in the True literal sense of, sense of yeah. a gentleman. Right. You know, and yeah. she was a very gentle woman herself. So that was a great compliment. Yeah, I mean, that's, uh, that's, that's very interesting because it, it raises, I'm just musing a little bit here to think, he came from this very difficult background and he did not come from a family, even before he got put into the orphanage, of people who would have known much about culture and music and film and stuff. And yet somehow he managed to find that stuff out himself. Yeah, he which let is very himself be exposed to all yeah. kinds of things. Uh, do you know why that? Like, do you know what it was? Was it his personality? Is it just... Well, he's curious. Uh, curious. He didn't person. push it to the extent I did. Later on, I was influenced <laughs> by him. But, for example... You know, introduced me Latin music, you know, Los Machucambos, yeah. you know, uh, other orchestras, studio orchestras doing, you know, nicely arranged programs, all this kind of stuff. I still listen to some of Amazing. this, you know, yeah. uh, especially the exotica type stuff. I love, you know, Les Baxter, Martin Denny, you know, all this kind of trippy pseudo exotic. Music. Well, it's, it's, it's not music that's typically, po it's not super popular at any time. It's it's, it's no. popular, but it's not very, you know, it's, yeah. Well, it, it goes into the field of what you call instrumental music. Definitely. You know, I hate the term easy listening <laughs> yeah. that some people yeah. apply because it's not really fair to a lot of this stuff, which is very interesting arrangements and mm. compositions sometimes. But some of it, yeah, there's some things that are bland. So... You know, I don't need all that. But there's such brilliant stuff out there. Sun Ra was influenced by Les Baxter. He said Les Baxter is the one who really knew what he was doing back in the 40s and 50s. Wow. And Baxter had these exotic percussion workouts and stuff wow. that are very similar to stuff, the stuff Sun Ra was doing in the 50s and 60s. Interesting. Yeah. yeah, one of the things that I did want to get into you here is music so i'm really glad you've opened that up i just have a quick anecdote a father anecdote mm -hmm. my father is a musician who yes, you know my father, met your father a very good uh, jazz musician and classical, classical music and you guys are french friends horn, yes. french horn yeah uh james mcdonald shout out um <laughs> but he he has never been really all that into sort of the modern whatever's popular on the radio right mm -hmm. now typically that's except for when perhaps when he was younger maybe mm -hmm. the beatles but i remember when I was a, you know, when I was a very early teenager, I was into punk rock and a lot of, you know, popular music that was on the radio at that time. And I had my records. And well, stuff. that's your generation. Yeah, exactly. And so, and so, you know, so he kind of, he's like, okay, you're into rock and roll. And he's like, I'm going to play some real rock and roll, you know? Uh -huh. So he gets out these records or whatever and he, and he tapes, I don't know what he had. And, and one of them was Bill Haley and the Comets were going to rock mm -hmm. around the clock. Cause he knew I was into rock music. Mm -hmm. Cause at that time, you know, the descendant of rock music was punk rock. So that was his notion of rock and roll. Yeah, well, and also another thing that I still, because you mentioned you still listen to it, is he introduced me to Chuck Berry. I remember mm. listening to Chuck Berry going, wow, this guy. There's yeah. something about this. Yeah, yeah. Bill Haley in the comments, I listen it's, to that. It's like, eh, you know, whatever. So, but Chuck Berry's one of those people. I mean, if there is, a, if rock and roll has a father, it's probably Chuck well, Berry. Well, he's certainly one right? of those key figures. He's a key figure, and yeah. he's just such a unique sound, a slow, methodical way of playing the guitar. That's just so interesting to me. Well, Richard you know? Thompson describes it as, as like the beat, like bouncing out of, like it, it's somehow... It's rhythmic. His lips are yeah, it's out rhythmic. The There's a yeah. rhythmic way of playing that's yeah, so Richard yeah. Thompson's an extra interesting <laughs> song called Guitar Heroes, where 
he proceeds to emulate all the people that blew his mind when he was a teenager. Oh, wow. Les Paul. Les Paul. Uh, he, he mentions, uh, was it James Burton, the guy who played with Elvis Presley in this? Oh, yeah. He, plays, yeah. Uh, he mentions the Shadows. He mentions Link people Ray? like this. You ever mentioned Link Ray? No, he, no? he yeah. does Django, you know, starts Django, with yeah. Django. <laughs> and he, he riffs beautifully on all that until he winds up uh, um, with his own style. <laughs> At the end, he wraps up doing some, again, astounding solo in his own typical style. That's, you know, his sound. Yeah. But the whole thing is just like a brilliant exposition of different styles of guitar playing. All in his view. And that formed his yes. particular style. Yeah, very yeah. interesting. Yeah, I mean, that seems to be the way that great musicians develop their own styles. It seems mm -hmm. like if you look at, I mean, whenever I sort of look at, like, my musical idols, you know, like, I'll just take an example, like Keith Richards, I'm mm -hmm. a big Rolling Stones fan. If you look back at what they did, mm -hmm. they just, they listened and copied and listened and copied and listened and copied and just over and over. You know, I mean, like if, if you look back, I mean, uh, you know, that's what they do. And any, any any musical form, that's what, and they're usually doing that when they're between the ages of about 14, 15 and about 20, which is a very formative mm -hmm. time. And then if yeah. you do that long enough, then eventually your own way of doing it is just going to emerge naturally, yeah. right? That's probably what this Richard Burton is the player's name. You're man. talking about Richard Thompson. Thompson, excuse me, yeah. yeah. Um, just because I'm not familiar with that particular musician. But, but, uh, yeah. um, but that sounds like what he's doing a, an illusion. Well, Richard to, Thompson came out yeah. of England. He was uh, very young at the time, but in the late 60s, he was the lead guitarist of the group Fairport Convention. Oh, yeah. I've heard of them. And then later, he recorded under his own name with his wife. So it was Richard and Linda Thompson. Okay. Then they divorced, and from the 80s, he recorded just under his own name. He's still recording. I still wow. have recent records. Cool. There's people like that have been around like a I keep telling people, you know, you got great music by people who've been around who are still still around. They're not sitting on their laurels, like <laughs> yeah, yeah. Jimmy Vaughn. You know, Jimmy. I've Vaughn. heard the name. Yeah. Well, Stevie Ray Vaughan's okay, Stevie older Ray. brother. Okay, yeah. Right. Yeah. Uh, he was the leader of the Fabulous Thunderbirds. Oh yeah. And I had that on vinyl. I still do. <laughs> then more, I realized last year that he's still been producing these records Amazing. right into yeah. the present, and they're fantastic. Right, you can't describe it as being exclusively blues or rock and roll or R&B. It's like where all that converges. Mm. So, and contra unlike his brother Stevie Ray, who was like this virtuoso, played endless runs of notes, Jimmy Vaughn's the opposite. Wow. He's extremely reser reserved and plays very... Uh, selectively, so Interesting. It's, it's understated. I might like him because stinging, I, you know, like sound. Then I, I should, I should, right I should on. check him out because I've never been a Stevie Ray Vaughan fan. I've always found it was very something clinical about Stevie Ray Vaughan's well, playing that never really touched me. You, I, you, you know. could probably yeah. <laughs> go more in this. It's it's more stripped down for one thing. I love stripped the, down stuff. The the, uh, yeah. the songs are strong. And uh, the playing is just perfect. His singing is good, too. Interesting. Okay. Anyway, so, so there's people like that. Robbie Robertson is still yeah. around. Elvis Costello. All these people who produce for you. Just speaking of guitarists, I've always been a big fan of 
Neil Young as a guitarist. Yeah, I like, yes, me too. You know, I don't, I don't, I've said this to my, I have a, um, a friend of mine, Sonny Greenwich. He's the son of the great jazz great. He's yes, a friend of mine. I, I saw and he's Sonny a, Greenwich and I saw elder, him. Right? I met him yeah, no, at Dawson. Yeah, well, okay. I, I know him personally. Yeah, he he's must a, be. He's old. He's old. He's, he's in his 80s. But his son is a good friend of mine. And I mentioned, because he's a guitarist as well. Mm. And so I mentioned, like, well, what do you think? Like, his, you know, he's an expert, right? So I said, what do you think of Neil, of Neil Young as a guitarist? He went, oh, no, that, you know, he kind of waved his hand. Because, it because it's just, it's, it sounds so simple. You know, if you're a guitarist, you want to hear the Van Halen. Everything's got to be fast and kind of like, like not you me, know. Not me, not me exactly. So I'm, I'm not a person who loves music. I'm not an Aldi fan either. I'm not even, I liked John McLaughlin when I was young as a teenager. But now I... I try to listen again. It's not so much. It doesn't inspire. Doesn't yeah. move me. I found and with Neil Young, just I just wanted to get this out quickly. Is you know, there's like Cinnamon Girl. There's certain things where he just he'll play like one note over and yeah. over again. I don't I don't know why. This is so captivating. It's it's hard for me to understand yeah. how if you just play the same note over and again, over and over again. But it's and I don't know if well, you have digs, an idea. But you're a fan as well. So yeah, he digs yeah. deep into it. Really. Oh. I, I very much, I agree with you. I very much like Neil Young's style. I'm glad to hear that. someone say that because I... Even <laughs> on acoustic guitar, I've heard some recent things by him. Um, where is it? There's a song about love and death. He's still singing songs. No, I, he's singing songs about love and war. Love and war. He says, yeah. you know, I've gotten into trouble. You know, I've been shot down, you know, but here I'm still singing songs about yeah. love and war. Wow. And on acoustic guitar... Solo, fantastic mm. performance, and his electric guitar stuff is very probing. I like him for similar reasons. I like Frank Zappa as a guitarist. Mm -hmm. You know, they yeah. could really dig in and go in dark places. Yeah, you know, and, and there's a, a strong power resonance. The, power, uh, yeah, the, yeah. the chords, the harmonic power in it is mm. for, is there, and Neil Young can like for example, there's an album few years ago that he did some more like folk-like tunes mm -hmm. adapted with Crazy Horse. Okay. And the lead-off track is Oh Susanna. You know, the song, Oh, you know, <laughs> yeah. Oh Susanna, yeah. you know. Yeah. Uh, but he, he does it brilliantly. The yeah. band get into this incredible <laughs> groove with it. Yeah. You know, it's, it's terrific performance. It, it's interesting because Neil Young has, if you look back at his his career, he's mostly known for this sort of whiny, folky stuff. That he, that's probably his most famous, you know, um, but there's uh, honey. But good songs. Oh, they're, they're good. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I'm, I'm being a little bit, uh, yeah. I should I should not be so flippant about that stuff because it's very good. I'm just not as, but I, when I was younger, so I was more said, rock and roll. Yeah, and well, especially that he did a lot of punk and grunge. Some people consider him a, grand, a father of grunge. There was a yeah. bunch of albums he did in, in the sort of the 80s. Uh, sedan delivery. I forget the name of those. Was it? Uh, mm. It's better to burn out than to fade away. Yes. That stuff. I don't know. All yeah, but 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 he theory, he did, but... and I saw him live once a long mm. time ago in Hamilton, Ontario, and he had Sonic Youth, which was at that point a up and coming grunge band, well, and I they weren't that Sonic well known. Was, and he was yeah. like into this grunge thing. This yeah. was in like the early nineties. He was, and it's, so he's always had an interesting kind of like a. I think he's been sort of like on kind of a cutting edge in some ways. Like, it sounds like that's what you're describing a little bit with this other, this more recent album, a kind of a, yeah, a new way of looking at that. He's season. done lots of things like that in recent years. 
But he is excellent guitarist. Yeah, good. Underrated even, although he's known as a guitarist, but still underrated compared to... Uh, Did you ever play? I'm just curious. I didn't I, play guitar. Me, but, I was yeah. a lazy son of a bitch. You know, I, <laughs> I, I, I was always fascinated with music, yeah. just yeah. smitten with music. Yeah. But I approached it differently, like as a listener, collector. Yeah. I like discussing music. I like reading about music. And I like listening to huge Friday music. Mm. When I I toyed with instruments, so what I did you what did you play around with when you were? What kind of instruments were you toying? Clarinet, saxophone, clarinet, sax. flute. You know, yeah, I tried yeah. those things. Yeah, not for long, just a couple months no, each, something like that. That's it. Well, no, it came up more than once, but I never pursued it with a commitment. Right. right and gotcha. so, uh, you know, when I was fourteen, I remember I loved. I loved uh, Herb Alpert, Nathaniel oh, yeah. Brass, oh, yeah. and I begged yeah. my parents for a trumpet. <laughs> they flatly refused. I still haven't forgiven them for it. <laughs> That's why you never became a great musician, because they refused uh, to buy you that trumpet, fault. right? Yeah, you I can blame it on them. Thank right? you for giving me somebody <laughs> to blame. Exactly. That's the important thing, is for someone to blame. Yeah, I, I, my, my, you know, as I mentioned earlier, my, my father's a musician, so I, 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 he encouraged me to play music. So I, I played drums for a couple of years, and I was not, I was pretty good at it. I mean, I wasn't great, but I think if I had, my father believes that if I had invested more time, I probably could have become really good, which is probably true because I think I had some talent. But I played bass guitar, and I've always been fascinated with rhythm. Mm -hmm. You know, like when me I listen too, to music, most of the music I'm really into are like forms like reggae and reggaeton and. A lot of salsa. I'm really into that more mm. recently because my my wife is from is a Dominican Latin American. Republic, yeah, she's yeah. Dominican, and they, you know, there's I'm into like bachata. That's very rhythmically yeah, yeah. oriented music. A lot of the and Latin stuff the, as well. Guitar percussion. And yeah. Electric guitar. That twangy. Yeah, yeah, that, yeah, yeah. The twangy. Yeah, yeah. That's it. Yeah, yeah. You're into bachata. Really, yes, and it's a very rubbery kind of elastic beat. Yeah, you know, it's right. slowed down compared to merengue. Merengue is faster. Very quick. Yeah, you know, you got to wiggle yeah. your ass like a son of a bitch. I tried <laughs> once. I said, I can't wiggle my ass like that. <laughs> but with the yeah. with the bachata, it's a bit more like like reggae almost. It slows down the beat. It's more electrified. That's true. And it it developed out of out of blues and some sort yeah. of uh, yeah it developed in the very poor neighborhoods in the Dominican mm. Republic in the 30s and 40s um, it didn't come from American blues but it was basically a poor person's way you know mm. poor people playing music together and mm. Dominicans that like uh, you know the peoples of the Caribbean and the southern United States and South America seem to have an, just an absolute plethora of talent for creating new music mm. forms it's really incredible so oh, look at Cuba. Yeah, Cuba is astonishing. Yeah. And Brazil, I mean, it's just you get into this world of different things. And it, you know, what I like about it, too, is that it seems to continue. You know, you, you hear new forms being created all the time you know, on Caribbean islands and in the U.S. South, Atlanta. But yeah. anyway, I want to get back to Montreal. It seems we're talking about music. You were a fan of music and you were doing stuff. I wonder if you could talk a little bit about the clubs. I mean, you had some things you wanted to mention about some of the well, clubs sure. and the well, famous they, places there. There's places that are closed now. I mean, more recent years, there are places like uh, 
the Spectrum, which oh, yeah. I saw so many shows there. Yeah. Uh, Great place to see a show. Great yeah, space. Good space. Very good space. Now, how long has it been closed? A few years. <sighs> Ten years, I'd that say. Much? Maybe. I it like, yeah. It was, a, it was around in the 90s when I was at Concordia. I used to yeah. go see shows there. Yeah, that uh, was a good place. So there all these places. Which but one? The one on Park the, Avenue or the, the one? First, I went there. Yeah, okay. I yeah. saw some interesting people yeah. there. Yeah. I saw. <laughs> I saw Richard Thompson. I saw Snake Finger. I nice. saw Perubu. <laughs> you know, twice Perubu, twice uh, Richard Thompson. Great shows too. I saw other things. So then these are more. Was, so the more recent one. And then they moved down to old, to Saint Lawrence and Saint Catherine. Yeah, below, which is where they are now. Yes, in fact. Yeah. And I, also I a saw good space, Reverend but... Horton Heath there. And, okay. Uh, I yeah. saw uh, uh, Mark Rybot there. Rebo or whatever he calls it. It's cool. a Catalan name, according to my best friend. Interesting. Who's from Barcelona. Okay. So yeah. Mark, Mark Rebo, my Rebot, <laughs> is yeah. Catalan, Catalan family name. But I then there was all the, the jazz clubs. I remember there was a Black Bottom in Old Montreal, which I went to a couple of times when I was a teenager. But that closed around that. That's the name? It's called Black the Bottom? Black Bottom. The Black Bottom. It was what on street? St. Paul. St. Paul Street. Okay. It was yeah. a basement place <laughs> on St. Paul in Old Montreal. Then there was uh, the Esquire Show Bar. It was on Stanley Street, mm -hmm. right? And I saw... That's before my time. That's yes, yeah, of course. That's, yeah. But I saw Roland Kirk there. More wow. than once, I saw <laughs> Charles Mingus. There. Wow, you know, Charles I saw, Mingus. Uh, so it was sort of jazz. It was a jazz place, the one. Jazz and jazz. blues. And blues, yeah. 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 Uh, Interesting. And then there was the In Concert Club, again in Old Montreal. It was on a little square of Saint Laurent, just south of Notre Dame Street. Okay. Yeah. Between Notre Dame and Saint Paul, it was a little mm -hmm. square, and there was a a club right on there called. It, you know, sounds like a good spot. Um, so th these are uh, you mentioned uh, when we were off microphone to Rockhead's Paradise. I wonder if you could talk because I never had the yeah. pleasure, obviously, of going there. It was way well, my time, there was but, that, yeah. of course, goes back far in Montreal. That uh, Rufus Rock, Rufus Rockhead is an iconic Montreal personality, as you know, and that when did it start? It must have been post World War One. You know, I would think not 20s, 30s, yeah. 40s, 50s, that the whole area was hopping. I, I have the impression that it's because it was on St. Antoine, Craig Street, right? Yeah. Uh, near what's now the Bell Center. Uh, yeah. I believe sort of kitty corner to yeah, it, as yeah, I understand kind of. it. Um, so as I understand it, I've, I've, I know I used to work with a guy who wrote, um, uh, he did a whole thing for my class once about mm. the, um, the, the history of uh, Montreal. It was really cool. And he talked about how in the Prohibition time, before uh, Drapeau and before the yeah. making of the Ville Marie Expressway, yeah. there used to be the uptown and the downtown. So the uptown clubs, what we what we call downtown, Sherbrooke Street, St. Catherine, yeah. you'd go out and you'd go to the Golden Mile at 6, 7 in the, in the evening and you'd have a meal and have a few drinks and you'd hang out till, you know, midnight or something. And then... When they closed down, you would go downtown to a blind pig on down. I'm not. I'm not sure if Rufus's Rockhead's Paradise was one of those, but there were a bunch of places, and that's a, a very famous black neighborhood. It was yes. a, a, an Afro Canadian yes, neighborhood. Yes, Saint Henri, right? Actually, <laughs> yeah. known as uh, so, Little Burgundy. Right, uh, Little Burgundy, Saint Henry. So, yeah. so just to just to complete the thought, I'd, I'd like you to talk about Rockhead's Paradise, but. Um, it seems like it probably was it came out because Rufus Rocket himself, I believe, was an immigrant from Jamaica, if I'm not mistaken. 
I I'm, don't. I'm not certain. Yeah, I haven't read his biography, yeah. but you may be right. In any case, he pr it's probably out of that crucible. I don't know that it goes back to Prohibition, but it probably predates the Delivery Expressway. Oh, right? no, for sure. No, no, no question about that, sure, right? There was things <clears throat> going on there. The Villemarie Expressway cut off those neighborhoods. From, well, yes. From, yeah, they, they turned St. Henry into a very poor well, backwater they, kind of a neighborhood for many years. Some, right yeah. through downtown, too, some of the older structures, right? Yeah. Separating old Montreal from what we now think of downtown Montreal. But that's where the trench went to. And they right, destroyed right. a lot of stuff. Yeah. But, so, and there was also um, Drapeau, just, just to complete this thought about the Drapeau thing, he, he did a bunch of things like slum clearances, he, you know, demolished Goose Village it's near the Victoria Bridge. And he, he did, he wanted to modernize Montreal. He wanted to turn it into this sort of city, you know, yeah. modern city. And so part of that was to kind of, you know, create the infrastructure of you build the, you know, uh, the, the, the Olympics and the Expo and all that kind of stuff. But I wonder if you could talk about your experiences at Rockhead's Paradise and what you remember about it and if you knew him or... Well, I met Rockhead's in the sense that he greeted people at the door. So I saw them, I saw him when we went there with my wife. I had gone to see Cab Calloway. Oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, Cab Calloway came... With not with a touring orchestra, he came with a musical director in the form of Pequito Rivera, wow. who had just defected from Cuba. Oh my God! Who was in the so group cool. Ira Carey, along with Chucho wow. Valdez, in in Cuba. So here is uh, Pequito Rivera, then organizing a group in Montreal, including some faces I recognize. So they were based here. They yeah. were, yeah, they, they had, the so, guy defected and he came here to, right. No, 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 uh, no, Pequito Rivera was working for Cap Calloway. Okay. I as got a you. touring I got you. musical director okay. who would gather a group of local musicians. Pick up artists. Yes. Yeah, pick up group. Gotcha. So, gotcha. But then yeah. Cap Calloway did all this classic repertoire, you know, the Heidi yeah, nice. Ho and oh, the yeah. whole bit, yeah. you know. Um, you know, passing the gong around and uh, all that. So you you saw the show at yeah, Rockheads. At Rockheads. Yeah. And then as you come into Rockheads, and there's Rufus Rockhead, looking quite dashing. He was clean head. You know, Shaved handsome, head, yeah. older black man. Uh, not Very well tall, dressed, as I understand it. Impeccably dressed, yeah. In night attire, <laughs> you know, evening attire, you know. He was famous for that. He was oh. this dandy, you know. With no, his, you know, he's like Duke Ellington. You know, he had <laughs> yeah, that kind of yeah. style, you yeah. know. And he would greet all the women coming in yeah. by handing them a rose, wow. a single rose. Nice. And he handed the rose to Helen. So did he have like like a vase filled with roses? Just yeah. pulled them out and then well, uh, yeah. He, he actually, I didn't see that. You know, he yeah. had this. He just happened. It came out of nowhere, right? Well, maybe a, yeah. you know, one of his staff brought him. That a is so cool. Yeah, but go bring <laughs> another, more. Yeah, maybe more. another half dozen. And you know? he gave one to your girlfriend at the time, or My your wife, wife at the uh, time. Helen, yeah. Okay. Nice. And I went. That's a compliment, right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I also saw. Oh my God! What was uh, rated X? Uh, Jungle Boogie. Uh, James Brown? No, Jungle no. Boogie. Oh, uh, um, ah, the name just escaped my mind. But that group, yeah. Jungle Boogie. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know the song. Yeah. I saw that group wow, at Rockhead's cool. Paradise. That is so cool. And wow. then around the corner, this the, the main entrance of Rockhead's was down below, was actually on... 
uh, uh, mountain? Saint-Jacques. Okay, the other yeah. side, the back yes, end. Yes, at the south yeah. side. And okay. at the north end of the building, there was a bar there attached to Rockheads. It was the right. same ownership. Right. Except right. it was a more casual bar where you sat and listened to live music on a tiny stage in the middle of this wow. narrow club. And did it have a name separate from Rockheads, or was I it just? It, yeah, I think it did. It, uh, but yeah. I can't remember yeah. now. But yeah. it was. But it was, it was Rockhead. I mean, it was the same. Yes. Ownership. Yeah. Right. Yes. Same and thing. there, right. the person holding forth much of the time was the guitarist Ivan Simons. Wow. And Ivan Simons was a fine jazz guitarist who was the older brother of Nelson Simons was also very even better known jazz wow. guitarist, recording artist, who was famous in Montreal. You know, okay. like the time almost as famous as Oscar Peterson kind of thing, or Oliver Jones now. You know, he had that kind of stature. Wow. So and Ivan Simons was well known for always holding, you know, court at Brockheads <laughs> and the bar and with a trio. You know, so you just had bass and drums and him playing guitar. It's amazing and, how effective that can be. Uh, if they're really good, a small couple club, of, yeah, you know, yeah, it's great. Right next Mesmerizing. Yeah. So that was good. So that was part of the scene there too of Rockhead. Interesting, yeah. Uh, but that we, that neighborhood, you know, obviously already when I went, like was in the probably 70s, on its way down. It's yeah. not wasn't the same yeah. as it its heyday. Mm -hmm. But I have you know, you read about Montreal the heyday of the nightlife scene, you know. I I think it started after World War One, especially. So yeah, like elsewhere, you know, look at what happened in cities, you know, from or Paris 20s. or New York yeah, or Shanghai. Roaring 20s, right? In the yeah. roaring 20s. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Berlin, Makes sense. you know. Berlin, yeah. Well. Give me a break, you know. And so then, Montreal followed that trend. Yes, yeah, well, a lot of partying not and to people. The same extent right, of course, smaller, much bigger yeah, yeah, cities. Of course, you know, but yeah. it had that kind of scene. Plus, because of prohibition, Montreal became known Very as a important. nightlife spot because people could drive up here and drink <laughs> legally in a club. Yeah. You know, they could try to sneak a, a couple of bottles of booze back. I don't know, but this is what was going on. So that increased. Because you had all these Americans coming to Montreal to party. It's so, so the notion of Sin City, that Montreal has had that reputation at for that a, time. Yeah, at that time. But it did, it did, even to this day, I mean, you know, because there's still, there's still the remnant of this in that Americans need to be 21 years old in order yes. to drink. The and here, the, 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 right. Yeah. And then so, you know, you need to be 18 in Quebec, of course. Um, the other thing that I've, and so there's still a little bit of that. When I, you know, the, also there the, the, used to be, uh, this is when I was younger, a lot of strip clubs. A lot of people would come here from Boston and, uh, you know, places in the United States yeah. to party, go see, you know, it was a big, there's, it's a, it well, seems I mean, like there's a very long continuum of this that probably still yeah. reverberates down to a Well, I time. saw that Not, a lot you know, in the 80s when I drove taxi for 10 years, you know. We're, we're, I, I want to get into that. I wonder, do you, do you we could, we could, we could transition into that in just a second because that's a really good idea but is there anything else about the Rockheads or the era in the 60s and 70s that you wanted to mention maybe other clubs or anything just before we move uh, on other clubs offhand it just it would be a big tangent to start going into individual groups or just musicians I would stop and talk to musicians like I, I talked to Archie Shep wow. you know I yeah. talked to Jimmy Heath and Stanley Cowell you know and, and Percy Heath you know and 
just while they're on their break or something. Yeah, yeah just go over and say, hey, what's... Yeah. You know, and I shoot the breeze. And yeah. I talked to yeah. Art Blakey. Yeah. Art Blakey hit yeah. on yeah. Helen. <laughs> you know, he says, oh... That seems to be the theme. He said, I'd like to marry you, sister. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so so that's interesting. Um, so then... Louis so Redmond. You know, yeah. I played with Keith Jarrett there. I talked oh, to him. okay. Keith Jarrett. I, I, I talked to a lot of people like okay. that. So, so th these are big names in jazz. Those, yeah. are those, of, uh, those people listening who are jazz fans, I'm sure. Are well, non-jazz fans. I would stop at festivals or whatever, too. I talked to Bob Brosman. I had a big conversation with Bob Brosman. Yeah. Um, I met the guys from the, 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 the microcosmic septet, you know. Uh, <laughs> It's just different people. Yeah, I mean, it's it's interesting how the the scene in Montreal, like, like you know the the you know the, the club scene or whatever's going on. There's always something going on. I mean, if you if you go if you, you know, when I was when my my era was when I was younger was in the 1990s and early 2000s, and there was all kind of stuff going on at that time. Not you know not as much you know, and now that you know there, there's still things that are you know if you, the neighborhoods seem to shift. In fact, the neighborhoods have shifted back to those. Little Burgundy and St. Henry have come back up again. Trying just to bring back, you know, some of the. Some of the, um, the well, I mean, all the expensive restaurants when you go there now, I mean, because yeah. the things moved basically in the eighties into into onto the plateau, right? Mm -hmm. That's when the plateau gained prominence as sort of the hip neighborhood, and it still is, mm -hmm. right? But um, let's let's transition into um, your working career. So you drove taxi in the eighties. Is there anything you, that you did before that that's of note? Yeah. Yeah. Well, again, by then I was in Montreal. I well to get a, a brief rundown. You see, uh, of course, I was an Air, Air Force brat, so uh, you know, as a, as born, a kid, yeah, as a kid. As but a kid. I was in and out of Montreal. Like I said, my roots, my parents were there, but also I was born in Comox, BC. Because my dad was stationed out. My okay. mother could not speak a word of English at the time. <laughs> in a hospital without her mother by oh her side. Who was in and all the nurses probably didn't speak any French. No, yeah, that's boy, right. Boy. She got to it. Yeah. Uh, you know, I was a year and a half old when we came back. I have pictures of me eating sand on the beach of Vancouver Island. You know? But then we came back by train and then lived with my grandmother. In on the plateau, okay. you know, on yeah. Chabot Street near Guilford, Chabot, yeah. you know, yeah. and my my we were there for a good year or something because my dad at that point decided to leave the military, so he had actually he wanted to go back to civilian life. My I think my mom too traveling, you know, was mm, hard on the family. Yeah. yeah, so he went in with his siblings and his mother had worked at Pepsi Cola okay. in Montreal. He went to work there. After a year, he didn't like it. He decided to go back into the Air Force. Wow. He rejoined and at that point, we, he was working at St. Hubert and we moved to... The, the airport. On, yes. Yeah, on, on the moved, South Shore. Yeah. That's right. right. And it was an Air Force base right. later. Uh, it still Army is. Base. Still, There's still some military some things there now. Are, yeah. still a, Canadian Space Agency now, but anyway, Something, that's yeah. a separate but, thing, but yeah. Uh, we, we settled there. My dad, you know, that was, we lived in St. Hubert later, too. But there, at that time, we lived in Jacques Cartier, which was now part of Longueuil. Yeah, I know the neighborhood. Uh, so, after that, my dad transferred to Ottawa. We moved there, lived 
couple of years there, I started school in Ottawa. So I went to grade one and two in French, in, French, in, Ottawa, French in Ottawa, in the Eastview area that's now called Vanier. Is that a French-speaking French, part of Ottawa? largely French yeah. neighborhood yeah. of Ottawa. Interesting. Yeah. And uh, so that's where I started school. Yeah. But then we were transferred to Goose Bay, Labrador. <laughs> wow. So from the age of 7 and 11, I was in Goose Bay. Now, I arrived in Goose Bay. I could not speak English at that time. I could say yes, no, hello, yeah, goodbye. Yeah. And with my family, we just spoke French. And school and friends. Yeah, all your point. friends and yeah. everything. Yeah, yeah. So at that point, it was like that. Yeah. So I had only indirect exposure to English, even though I lived in Ottawa. At that point. Yeah. But in Goose Bay, <laughs> I had no choice. Because I didn't talk about immersion, you know, it's thrown in. and uh, Thrown in how? It, it, was, it was an English language school. Only, of only, course. Right. There was no option for yeah. French yeah, schooling. There, there was not enough Francophones there, I suppose. They couldn't justify yeah, it yeah. in any place outside yeah. Quebec. So, basically, I, from grade three, I went into school. For two months, I struggled a bit. You know, the class would laugh at me oh, when they'd God. say... Who is wearing the blue dress? And I said, the policeman. You know, policeman dressed in blue, right? Yeah, He's wearing oh the blue God. dress. Everyone's ah, laughing their heads up. off. Yeah. After two months, that wasn't happening anymore. After two years, I spoke English perfectly. fluently without even An accent. French accent. So then I continued English. We, after Goose Bay, we came back to Just Lachine and St. Hubert, and I continued through CJEP. In, in, French. in in English, in English, okay. Yeah. I, I just had a, you told me once that you, as I recall, the the teacher came to your house and asked yes. your parents to speak English. The, or something. My yeah. grade three yeah. teacher. This is this in Labrador. In right? Labrador, yeah, yeah, yeah. Goose Bay came to visit my mother and said, "You know, you really have to just speak to him in English." So he can, he can so adapt, he faster, adapt faster. Yeah, right. otherwise he yeah. might fail his year. Blah blah. My mom said no. I've yeah. seen too many French Canadian families in the military lose, lose their, their language. The yeah. kids wind up not being able to converse in French. They go home she, to Quebec, they can't talk to said, the grandparents, right? We're so. a French Canadian family. Yeah. We speak French at home. We'll continue to speak French at home. He's a smart kid. He'll learn. Mm. If he has to fail grade three, so be it. He'll yeah. fail grade three, he'll get it. You know? So, oh, Joel, you think you're wrong, you know, and this. At yeah. the end of the year, that teacher came up to my mother and apologized. Wow, interesting, amazing. Yeah, it's it's an amazing story. I mean, those of us who I'm sure, I don't know what your feelings are of nationality and patriotism and all that, but those of us who sort of believe in Canada as a as a bilingual idea, I'm sort of I, a story like that's a very a, very, a good story. Well, to hear that, that there are people like your 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 parents were like no. Well, you know, this this language is actually something important to us, and even even from a Quebec nationalist standpoint, yeah. that's a cool. But thing, they were nationalists know? in that sense, in any case, you know. And he separated well, this kind of. They notion. couldn't have been if he's in the Canadian army. Right? No, well, that's yeah, it too. And no, but they were they were they had no problems like that, and they had many you know English speaking yeah. friends and right. so forth in the military, uh, and they associated with people like all the time. Yeah. So, but I at, from that point. At home, it was in French. I still have my French relatives and sub-friends. 
but majority of my friends were English speaking. From that point on, yeah. From that point on, through school, high school, and Dawson College, and beyond. And my my first wife, Helen, was an Anglophone. Anglophone. Montreal, too. As Carla, current wife, Montreal Anglophone. Yeah. Yeah. So, so you, you've, you've lived your life in both languages and uh, obviously, but you've sort of leaned towards the Anglophone community. Much more, yes, as an adult, because uh, my reading, uh, music I listen to, the films and TV shows I watch is, you know, 90, more than 90% in English. How do you feel about your, your, you know, French Canadian origins? Like, I mean, do you, do you see those as important for you have a grandson in France? I yeah. mean, do you, is that something that's, in, I'm just curious to know what your thoughts are about that side for the future. And Well, it's hard, know. of course, in families where you have that kind of mixing now. I mean, you, you, uh, my, my grandkids obviously are, are speak not French. They don't speak so French Canadian, you know, and they're, they're, they're going to be fr- Europeans. Well, they're French. They are now. French, yeah. They're, well, they're, they have dual citizenship. Right. No, but they yeah, were born they're, over there. They were born they're in up France, over there, right? in the yeah. Paris area. Yeah. The father is French. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, interestingly, they just got their Canadian citizenship. So they're oh, dual good. citizens, good as is my daughter. Okay. So they have French and Canadian. They're showing their certificates of Canadian citizenship all. It's funny that this this makes me think about a friend of mine, uh, Virginie, who was, she was born in France and she moved here 30 years ago Mm -hmm. and she lived here and she became a Canadian citizen. She recently moved back to France, Mm -hmm. but it occurred to me that she is technically, because she became a Canadian citizen, Mm -hmm. she is technically a French Canadian. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, like she's technically French and Canadian, and so okay. it's where we have the term French Canadian means okay, a person. Wow. You know what I'm saying? Like because usually they say this person's an Italian. Like when you look on Wikipedia, it'll say, you know, uh, some person who was born in Italy but moved to the United States has dual nationality yeah, or something. Yeah, yeah. They'll say Italian American, or they'll yeah. say, you know, Mexican Canadian or something yeah. like that, right? And so, so technically, a French Canadian would be someone so, like your grandkids, from right? Yeah, yeah. And they're technically uh, right, <laughs> yeah. yeah. But, but I'm just. But just to get back to this, just a, a couple quick questions. You you spoke French with your daughter, right? Yeah. yeah uh, said, no. No. English. But she went More. to school in French, or she went to school in French. Okay, so uh, she grew up kind of bilingual, yeah. speaking English in the home. Yeah. And, okay. Yes, because with my late wife, we spoke English at home, yeah. and with my daughter mostly. But when we'd be in family, with my family or others, it was all French. Was it would be in right. French? Yeah. Okay. So she spoke. French and well. she, so she speaks it fluently. She has oh, I mean, yeah. now. Now she's obviously. Well, adapted. now, uh, yeah. But she's retained English. her own uh, pronunciation. She, ha- she isn't completely gone to the, uh, <laughs> you know, Parisian. Uh, That's good to hear. No, <laughs> That's good to hear. On the other hand, it mellows. There's no yeah. jarring yeah. Quebecisms in the inflection. People wouldn't either. understand her if she well, used. You no, know, she, if, if it gets too thick and yeah, fast. Yeah, but exactly. even. The, the typical, you know, pronunciation. Yeah, she wouldn't pass it. Yeah. Me too. When I went to Europe, you have to at, change. At 18, I didn't sound like a typical French Canadian to them, so they said, "Oh, you don't sound like some Quebec." Why not? Them. Why not? Because I, I was too easily adaptable. Because already ah, from okay. the experience of integrating into an English milieu, and when I'm in a context, not. It's like the opposite of being in a regional, same regional context your whole life, where you really have the specific inflection, linguistic 
pinpoint the yeah. town you're from. Yeah. Nobody could do that with me. Of course, because you, yeah. where you moved around a lot, also you were speaking English all the time. Yeah, yeah. It's funny how accents can be malleable like that. I, I learned French um, later on. I did not speak it as a child, um, mm -hmm. but um, but I learned it very fluently, and I, I do have an accent when I speak French. And mm -hmm. You've heard me speak French. But it, but when it, when I've gone to France in the past, people sometimes think that I'm a, a Quebecois, you know, just because it sounds to them like you know. More like I mean, there's basically I've had three reactions. But one reaction is kind of like some people don't care. You're just some dude who's talking funny, and they're, they're you know they talk back. They'll say whatever. Well, another group will who have have ever been here before because like, a lot of people in France they have family you know so they've been here and they've heard anglophones speaking French so they mm -hmm. can oh okay they can do this you know but then there's another group that I sound like a French Canadian to them and they're like oh they're surprised that mm -hmm. but when I when I went to live abroad for a few years I remember um, and it was like you so my accent must have changed over that period mm -hmm. uh, when I spoke French which wasn't very often I came back and I was in uh, in the metro station in Longueuil and, and this, this guy was talking to the guy behind the counter and he said, êtes-vous français? Yeah, and, yeah. I, and I was like, what? I was, I was like, I was like, me? I was like, what? And he, and he said, yeah, he said, you, you sound like, are you from France? And, and, and I said, and I was like, that's so weird. I said, and somehow my accent must have somehow moderated shifted, itself, uh, shifted in a way that I wasn't yeah. even aware of. You, you absorbed know. some something, some inflation, right? That I you know, around yeah, you. because again, I'm like you, I, I didn't have a kind of like you know, I didn't like you know, grow up in some place where I spoke in a certain way exactly. or something like you know, and say I'd grown up in somewhere you know, I don't know. Where, where people spoke both languages or something. Even after six months in Europe, especially being a lot of time in France or with French people, French people Europeans, yeah. Even I went around Western Europe for six months by myself. Turned 19 then. But when I came back, my parents thought I <laughs> sounded hell? like yeah. a Frenchman. <laughs> you know, they say, oh, you come back with a accent français. But, see, yeah. you know, but me, it was just, like just, I it said, just because happened, yeah. I didn't have. I met some Quebecers, like in Switzerland at one point. I'm with my traveling companion, who's French, at Parc Kabyle, uh, and we. That's meet. Algerian. That's a that's yes. a person of Berber the, the ancestry. ancestry. Just to be clear, yeah. From his cool. father, right. With a French mother, right. And he was my traveling companion yeah. at one point. Kabyle is the language of the Berbers in Algeria. No, I believe, right? it's is one of the, the branches of the Berber right. uh, people in Algeria. The particularly uh, in Algeria, I believe. Well, particularly but, in Algeria. Right. Okay, but the main branches are the Touaregs and the Kabyle. Ah, interesting. You see, yeah, and the yeah. Touareg are more concentrated in the Sahara. Okay. And the Kabyle are more in the mountains of Algeria. Interesting. Traditional. It's an ancient population. Before the Arabs came Yeah, along. that's right. Yeah, it's an ancient population. So, so uh, many, by the way, just on a quick side note, many of the people of Kabyle origin, first of all, many Algerians in Montreal tend, like I'd say, like it seems like a coin toss. If you talk to them, they're, they're, they are of Kabyle origin. Yes, I know. I've, I've had that happen a lot. You, if you get to talk to them, they go, oh, yeah, you know. And I wonder if that's got to do with repression in Algeria towards the Kabyles. They're more likely to leave. I don't know. That's a, a question. But one thing I've noticed that you may have noticed, they very often have blue eyes. They, they often, the Kabyle, and they're, they're not of a European ancestry. They're from an ancient uh, group no, of people. No, they're not. The, uh, they're neither you know. are they Semitic. That's right, they're, they're not of the Arabs. I believe, is there yeah. possible they're, what they call, Hamidic, something like that. It's another I'm not sure. It's, a, it's, a, it's, it's not Indo-European. Right, and the, it's the language you mean, yeah, yeah. Well, that's a, yeah. even the ethnicity yeah. is not 
Indo-European. Yeah. Indo-European or Semitic. So it's something else. Like also, uh, for example, the Basques. That's a completely mysterious, and nobody knows anything they, about. For yeah. all we know, <laughs> yeah. they're the descendants of the, the first Cro-Magnon peoples who pushed out the Neanderthals from Europe. Yeah, the, the, the Basque uh, language is, is what's known in linguistics as a language isolate, in the sense that linguists mm -hmm. cannot connect it to any other language anywhere in the world. Oh, so you, I see. Yeah, they, they, you know, and, and, and my theory is that the, because it's a mountainous region in between mm -hmm. Spain and France, that there were people living in Europe before the the Indo-Europeans gradually moved in, and they are the remnants somehow that went up in the mountain. That, that's a theory I have. And there's no way I could prove that either, right? But, you know. um, but just to return to your Kabyle friend, this is a person you met uh, when you were... Uh, in Grenoble. Okay. Grenoble. It's quite yeah. a story in itself, the whole European trip, but I went off on a student exchange kind of thing where I was expecting a summer job in Nice, France. I got a free ride from the military. I had to go to Ottawa, get on, you know, like low priority on a military flight. Nice. Where'd you fly to? To Baden-Baden. Germany. Germany. Yeah. And brought to Lars, which was supposed to be where I'd arrived. Okay. From Lars, I stayed a bit. I met some people. I hung out with this German guy for a bit. Then I hitchhiked down through Switzerland and got a ride from Switzerland all the way to Marseille was a few days in Marseille, uh, tried heroin for the first time. Oh, wow. In, in Marseille? Not shooting up. I never put a needle in my arm. Wow. But in I, Marseille, wow. In Marseille, that, that's a pretty... I, as somebody, <laughs> you know, I twice I ingested heroin. It didn't. It was not a pleasant experience. Smoke it on tinfoil? No, no. no. It was ingested, uh, ingested in the mouth. Oh, in your mouth? Yeah. yeah. You never done it that way. Anyway, but... Not something I pursued at all. I, <laughs> Needless to I say, did, yeah. <laughs> although I, I was doing crazy things at the time, I actually brought with me a bag of LSD tablets <laughs> from Canada to Europe. On, on the military transfer? Yeah. yeah. And I had that for a while until I was busted with it in Nice. Oh but God. except someone else took it from me, you know, saying, oh, you know, to not get busted with it. But they... I, it was a whole story again how I maneuvered my way out of the police station finally. You are a but, good talker. So you, I, yes, I, can, I, I can imagine yes, you talking I, your I, way, I, out I, I, way out of it, right? I did talk my way out of it. I don't just... know the end of it because I got some free concerts out of it. <laughs> I got a free pass into the, the jazz festival taking place in Nice that oh, year. Oh, nice. And nice. the police would let me in because they're supposedly looking for somebody I'd made up who had given me the LSD, that they saw me pass to this other guy they already know and had in their sight. You know, ridiculous things. It's crazy. Can I just ask you something quickly about the military transfer? When you landed in Germany, did you go through some sort of German customs, or was it just because you're on a Canadian army base, you just walk Pretty out? Pretty much, yeah, yeah. I don't remember. Yeah, there must have been somebody looking. I don't Checking, remember yeah. if they looked my past. a long time ago, I know. I'm just sort of curious how that would work, if that's well, sort of a separate I territory. But I yeah. wound up going yeah. through France to Nice. I didn't get the job because the stupid asshole apparently this is to other Quebecers that when they show up and they had their hair, be, like I had long hair. Right. And took right. A, so I don't want this, you know, kind of hippie, hippie character right, yeah. as being a clerk in my grocery <laughs> store. 
So <laughs> he pretended he never got my correspondence. Uh, okay. So I didn't have a job. So for six months, and I just continued. I stayed in Nice for a while. I went to Grenoble, where I met this guy, the Kabila guy. And then I went through Switzerland again. How did you support Germany yourself? Did and you, to Holland. How did you support yourself? Did you have some money? I'm just curious. Like, did you, At the beginning, yeah, I had a bit of money. Yeah. But yeah. after, you know, occasionally there'd be a day job. You know, I picked right, Brussels right, sprouts right. in the fields in <laughs> Holland. Nice. And, yeah. you know, work in a market one day or something. But right. and Make a few pan bucks. You pan just, up. Yeah. You know, yeah. I'm not proud of it now, but also, you know, you'd steal. You got to eat, right? You steal a chocolate bar and yeah. a piece of cheese. And you panhandle enough money to buy a loaf of bread, wow. you know, and and like that, you know, you you have a meal, you know, or in places. I remember we were in uh, uh, in Grenoble, for example. I would go to uh, and also in Nice, go to Algerian and Tunisian restaurants nice. where they you get enormous couscous oh where they God. keep ladling. It's so on filling. Your plate. When and you it eat would it, cost, yeah. at the time, ridiculously low prices. Four francs or something. Four or five francs. Yeah, yeah. You know? It's like a buck. Right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you know, basically. I think it was, yeah. I calculated at the time, it was costing me 92 cents to have a full wow. meal. You know, it was, anyway, those were some interesting times. But I wouldn't travel this way anymore after that. I mean, this is know, this is Jack Kerouac. You're describing a kind, kind of a kind of on, of on the road, road kind of kind yeah. of thing that you're. And I met lots yeah. of interesting people. Yeah. But I always wasn't always in the best, you know, state right, because, right. you know, first of all, when you have no money like that, you're too dependent on yeah. accepting hospitality, yeah. accepting rides, accepting a place to sleep. Uh, Stressful you know, too, right? Well, I mean, a little bit. So anyway. But you, I, yeah. I went through it. I got stoned quite a few yeah. times. I had some of my acid, you know, several times. Yeah. You know, but... I, sounds like an adventure. It was. Yeah, it sounds you know, like a But I lost all my things along yeah. the way. At the end of the uh, trip, all I had left that I brought with me from Canada... Your passport? My passport, <laughs> my medical card, okay. and one <laughs> pair of socks... <laughs> <laughs> how do you know? How do you remember? I guess all the other stuff had gone. You remember you packed those socks or something? Is that, there, that's yeah, yeah. no, but it's that's the you know, like how do what do we really remember? It's, it's we such a, it's remember amazing. Remember things that we have remembered before, right? So we right. remember remembering. It. That's right. That's you right. see, so I can't now visualize my where I was exactly. I can't, You're right. You just remember those three things that yeah. I've retained yeah, yeah, yeah. before, yeah. and so there's still some synaptic yeah. connection. To that's amazing. That's that's really cool. But my parents were looking for me <laughs> yeah. because I had not contacted them for six months. Now that was terrible. That's inexcusable. Yeah. My daughter had done that to me. I would be extremely <laughs> upset. But now, you know, I, I, it's, yeah, I can't even say that it's just a break, you know, an umbilical cord. In a way, it was that too. But also, really, it was more stupid than that because essentially it was procrastination. So you just was, couldn't be bothered to get a. Back no, in those but, days, you had to write a letter. Be bothered, but then it right? became more and more of a burden. Oh, what do I say now? Right, it's been right. weeks, now it's been months. What am I going to tell them? You know. So I you're afraid of the reaction. I can't just so write a card. I have to write a full letter now. You know, <laughs> should I call? You know, and I never. Wow. I could have called. I could. You regret that. Okay. 
Yeah, of yeah, course. Okay. My mom yeah. was very hard. Must have been beside that. herself. Yeah. But she must have been just like, I mean, a, a normal parent would think, a well, mother would yeah. be imagining the worst things, right? She'd be mm. sitting there thinking, my oh, God, you know, what if he's been abducted or, yeah. you know, or did they, I'm just curious. I mean, she never made any attempt to contact authorities. Or they, did. they did. They did. I okay. say they had, through wow. the military, they had made inquiries <laughs> as to where I might be. <laughs> wow. And so when I happened to be picked up in Breda in the south of Holland, I happened to be walking around a public area, which is like bureaucracy, you know, public buildings. And smoking a joint of some bad brass <laughs> that some people in a club I knew had given me. You know, and yeah. I'm walking around with this big envelope full of grass that you have to keep smoking big joints to get even a bud. Yeah, you know? right, right. And so I'm there trying to get stoned. <laughs> I walk past an unmarked police car, a Volkswagen bug, who then stopped me, decides to check my papers. I'm what am I doing here at night? It's not a people. Or How late? Stuff. How late was it? Was it late at night? Like was it eleven midnight? Okay, so not like three, four in the no, morning. No, no, yeah, right, end okay. of the evening. Right, right. You know, but he decides to check my papers. My right. papers are in order, but I have no money on me. Right. So already I'm in the position of vagrancy. Right. Uh, right. They brought brought me to the police station. They're looking at it. Yeah, all my things. You know, at one point they were. Did they care about the marijuana? Like, did no. they? No, they no. just because it's the holidays. They you gave know, it Netherlands, back to me, yeah, they're like whatever. They gave it yeah, back kids to me, smoking yeah. some weed. Who gives a shit, right? You know. But the <laughs> thing is, because I was a bit stoned by then, right. and I had this notion that the the only thing I hadn't lost was my passport. So right, I'm very right. attached. They wanted to keep my passport Ooh, overnight, and because uh, I made up yeah. the story, I said I had some money, but I left it at the youth center where I hung right. out. They were holding it for me, so I don't, you know, risk losing it. So they said, okay, come back tomorrow and show us. And, and they wanted to keep the passport. And I could have easily gotten away with that because at that center, they knew me. They, they would have loaned me, yeah, yeah. Five, you know. Five guilders or whatever. Hundred guilders yeah, or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, just enough to show <laughs> yeah. as if I have 40 bucks to yeah, my yeah. name. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. And I could have given it back to them. They would have done that. But leaving now, your passport? That, but I didn't. Yeah. I, I got, uh, you know, I tried to bluff my way out of it. So I said, no, no, you know, I've always been very attached. I don't want to let go of my passport. At one point, they kind of gave up. And all of a sudden, I realized too late, oh, oh they're actually keeping me. <laughs> so then. They put you in put, a cell? Yes. Yeah. Five days. I spent Five in days. And they took wow. all my things. Including, you know, the envelope of pot, they'd start chuckling, you know, see what it is. <laughs> There's papers, matches, and all that's there. Put in a drawer, you know, all that. When they let me out, they gave me everything. The, the pot. Just the I Netherlands. smoked start... in the airport. Yeah. I smoked in the holding room <laughs> that the airport security kept me in waiting for my flight. I this is in the Netherlands. In, yes. In, in, in I Holland, smoked. Yeah pot on my KLM flight back <laughs> because I was trying to finish the damn stuff before getting back to Montreal. And it's there, uh, God, you know, and it was, you know, you never got very your stone, but I kept smoking it. Well, you smoke enough of it, you're going to feel and something. I, right? we go to, the, yeah. you know, back then you could smoke cigarettes on airplanes. Yeah. I'm at DCA KLM on the way to Dorval. <laughs> and I go to the bathroom and I'm there smoking my joint. Then after a while, I got tired of doing it. Well, yeah, I, start, I was in the back row, you know, a seat by myself near the back. I started to just, just roll up smoking. And I smoked there, and then you'd hear 
sarcastic comments in foreign languages yeah, up toward yeah. the front. I, I said, still can finish the damn envelope. So we'll just like shove it in the seat and let you, you know. think, What, you, you kept it with you? <laughs> <laughs> but no, I folded it, shoved it in my boot. Just and, went through customs. Was customs. I'm coming from the hands of the That's hilarious. Dutch police. And the, Possibly and, to, and the through Canadian security. customs. Yeah. They, you know, I had no luggage by then. <laughs> and you got long hair, and you, yeah, you're a young guy. And, and I wind up at Dorval. Nobody knew I was arriving because wow. they didn't. Why? At that point, you'd think. There's no. You know, we got we to just make sure our listeners understand. This is, this is I guess, in the early 70s. This so, was 71. 71. So, the, you know, the only ways to communicate would have been literally to write letters or to telephone at yes. great cost, right? Yes. So, the, you know, so there was no email. There's no, you know, texting. No. There's no yes. uh, any of that stuff. Yeah, boy, that's a, that's a just <laughs> as you were speaking, it reminded me once my my father, who you know, he likes to imbibe marijuana sometimes. So one time we were on we've taken a number of trips around the country together and other places. And we were driving, and we were driving to Western Canada to see some family. So we, we got to Sault Ste. Marie, and we were going to go south of Lake Superior instead of north. So he had some marijuana, so oh, he had to get rid of it before we crossed the, the border. So, so right before we went to the border, he rolled up a big joint, smoked it. Oh, yeah, yeah. And then I was driving. I think we went through the customs, and he just goes through the customs. He was blasted. He was blasted out of his mind. Yeah, but he, you've seen him. He takes, he yeah. takes you know. Okay, so so this is really cool. I, I wonder before I, I want to get to the taxi stuff. Um, so you drove cab for how many years? Ten years. Ten almost. years. Yeah. So starting in the late seventies up to the late eighties. No, it was uh, let's say eighty two to ninety two. Eighty two to ninety two, which corresponds to my thirties. Right. So you were in your thirties. And you drove on the island of Montreal. You yeah. described there were three zones. You were in the main one, the central one for the Well, moment, right? yes, uh, right. as far as the general zones, but also different companies focused on different parts. Did you that. drive for a particular company? Yes. Yeah. Well, many years. Yeah. I was, uh, there was Regal Taxi at first, based Regal. in Westmouth, a small company that folded. Yeah. Then, basically, we... Uh, I joined with all the Iranian drivers oh, yeah. <laughs> who formed Atlas Taxi. Okay. So yeah. then I was one of the original drivers at Atlas. That company still exists, doesn't yes. it? Yes. Although I, I myself was not a taxi owner. You you I, rented the medallion. I rent. Yeah. I actually rented the, um, the the taxi permit for the car. Right. That's called the medallion. Right? Okay. Is that is that what it is? I, mean, I don't know. I didn't year. call it that, yeah. but basically, yeah. that, that's the, that's the thing you need on the car. That's not nothing to do with your driver's yes, license right. in order for the right to drive a taxi. To drive a taxi. City. Yeah. yeah, to own right. a taxi for to, the car to right. be operated. For the car the to be able to take rides. Yes. Yeah. Now yeah. that I did not own the permit myself, so I I owned the car and rented the permit. I'd have to register my car in someone else's name. Yeah, interesting. Tricky, yeah. and some people got screwed. But this is going on, you know. Then it's a pretty shady business, it seems well, to me. You know, it's it worked for me, but no. But I mean, the ownership even, of the medallion. No, but even thing, after you know. a while with the owner of that, we shared a taxi. Okay, so yeah. we did alternating shifts. See, an Iranian guy, and very nice guy. Okay. So this is how it went. Um, 
I liked taxi. It was an adventure for me. I was a taxi dispatcher in Montreal before that. <laughs> okay. Yes, Is that how you I got did. into it? You, no. No, just no actually, thing. no direct connection. Okay. Yeah. You see, but in my 20s, one of the jobs I had for a couple of years was a taxi dispatcher for Diamond Taxi oh, Diamond's and a big Veterans, yeah. Yeah. which is part big of the as well. same office. Oh, yeah? Yes. It's on St. Subile Street, isn't it? Uh, yeah, around yeah, there. Because uh, I've walked by it before. Uh, St. Gregoire. I live in, and, uh, in the neighborhood. Yeah, right. It's, uh, yeah, yeah. it's a so small little building. I've seen that. Little, yeah, it's probably still there. Yeah, it's probably the same one. Um, so that's, I'm sort of interested in this because I, I, I'm an Uber driver and I'm sort of fascinated with uh, the taxi business and the, mm. you know, the, the, you know, the idea of people paying for rides. So uh, I was wondering a couple of things. One is, my brother's a car guy, so I have to ask you about the kind of vehicles that you drove. Mm -hmm. You told me once that you, I think you said you you were all the taxi drivers were driving Volkswagens because they had some sort of thing where Volkswagen would guarantee service for unlimited amount of miles or something. Yes, is well, that there was unwarranted, uh, unlimited warranty, even for commercial, even use, for commercial, which use. is usually wow. an exclusion. So the Volkswagen Jetta, the Jetta. new model. That came out in 1985, okay. which had a new look there, which was then ubiquitous for the next 10 years. For taxis. For, and yeah. in general, it was a very popular car. But their strategy was to penetrate the car market by having a very visible car. Everybody right. said, well, if all these taxi They've drivers... got to be buying, a good... Yeah. What's so the they were, reason? So they were sucking but up for the cars. taxi drivers, it's it was an unexpected deal. boon to have two years of warranty because otherwise, normally, you you wire out the warranty right away with if the mileage they're running, or I mean, they're the fact of day, running right? this commercial vehicle excludes that warranty. You'd have to buy a separate kind of warranty on the vehicle. Or just pay as you go, fix yes. the things. That, you but know, it's, uh, but yeah. because of this, even... Brake liners, wow. you know, things like that were guaranteed. You'd pay for your oil changes, and that was it. So, did you own the vehicle? Like, was it? Yeah. Was it one? It was one Jetta. Do you remember the car? Was it oh, standard I had, automatic? I had more than one Jetta. I had standards, except for one. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, went through I, different cars. Huh? I had a, a muscle car before really? taxi. I, my first car. I started a bit late driving. And we were living on the plateau. I bought a 1973 Oldsmobile Delta 88 wow. with a 455 engine. You know, two-door car. You see the bulk of car. You don't want to have an you accident. step on the gas. It thing, you know, lurches right forward. You don't, you don't want to have an accident in that thing. The steering column will impale you. I you know, suppose. those old... Uh, but I yeah. I like that car at the time. You know, it was my first... It was a used car. I mean, this is now, by now, it was 77. No, so yeah, 77, 78, I was buying it. Wow. So I was already in... Okay. Well in, into my 20s. But that was, I liked that car. But after a while, then we started taxi a couple of years later. And... That's when I got at first a Malibu, okay. boring yeah. looking car, you know, <laughs> the most boring blue you could put in a car. I hated it, you yeah. know. But it was a standard kind of car at the time, bit of practical taxi. Then two years after that, oh, then those Jettas came up. So okay, let's mm -hmm. do it. And uh, 
Search so, me a Jetta is not like as I considered I buying a Jetta. They're, they're a nice car. I considered buying one some years ago, but it's 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 not a super ample car. It's not yeah. like you know, like a lot of taxis are these big yeah, Caprice yeah. classic type things where they're yeah. they're kind of like big and roomy. And it's, it's not that that would be that much of a problem. You know, you, most of the time when you're driving cab in Montreal, the people are drunk anyway, and they're you know they're in the back seat, so they don't care that it's jammed in there. But uh, but I mean, it's not too. It's not, yeah, car, it's not but too. obviously like a Passat for example make a better size taxi mm -hmm. but anyway I went from one Jetta to another right. I totaled okay. one really? on Mercy Bridge wow. flipped it right over in the winter wow um, anyway Jeez. I kept getting Jettas up until 2004 when with Helen my wife we wanted to get something different and I bought a one-year-old Volvo V70. Okay, yeah. And that, which I still have. I think it's parked outside. It's parked outside. <laughs> I can't drive it anymore. Yeah, yeah, unfortunately. So now I'm waiting for a car I can drive, an yeah. adapted vehicle with left-side control, which I have the permit for already. It's great. Um, I, I just want to. I just want to hear a couple of these taxi things. Yeah. I mean. It, it, I, you, you told me one where you were robbed. I wonder if you could describe that. That was uh, just that the, the time you told you recounted yeah. a story of how one guy had a pair of scissors. Oh, yeah. It was kind of yeah. a crazy scene. <laughs> but, you know, uh, these two tall black guys hailed me one evening. I just started working. I had been at, at uh, La Ronde all day with my family and in-law kids and everything. I spent all my money, except in my pocket, I had four $1 bills. Canadian. Canadian. Yeah. And eight American $1 bills. <laughs> wow. All neatly folded in one little pile. That's all I had left. Yeah. That I kept for change and a bit of coins. You know, some did Did, you, did you often carry... U.S. currency with a no, lot of Americans. It just so happened. Just you happened to have it that day, or yeah. from a previous day, right? Or right. Okay. That I okay. An American but paid you. I I yeah. don't necessarily give that back. I say no. I'll keep. I'll hang on to it. Of course. So anyway, that's all I had, which is exceptional because normally, God, I'd always have at least fifty, sixty bucks in, in small pocket. bills. So if you could, not a hundred right. or a hundred fifty, yeah. you know, that would have been more typical. So then, yes, they have a okay. Give me what you have. Well, wait a so, second. So, so just hold on a second. So the two guys, do you remember what street you were driving on? Yes, Sherbrooke Street Sherbrooke? in Westmount. Westmount, interesting. And uh, was it dark yet? Was it, it was dark. It was dark. Okay, so it was maybe summertime because you were at home, yes. right? Uh, okay, I just wanted to set the scene. So you're driving yeah. along, these two black guys hailing the car. You pull over, right? Yeah. They get in the car, and yeah. what happens? They had me go west. So we go back the other way. I was near the forum. Okay. We go back the other way, and they're going up around the Decker Expressway. So you drive right through Westmount. Yes, right well, on Sherbrooke. From, on Sherbrooke, yeah, because the forum up, is way over in Montreal. The, and yeah, De, yeah, right. Up Decker, and then they had me turn into one of the little side streets that are dead ends that come up, but the Decker Expressway. Oh yeah, that yeah, should you have mean? me off right away. So yeah. they're they're like pulling in there, but then there were people around, and all of a sudden they changed them. I saw it all after, but that moment 
Okay, like, these guys don't know where they're, they're going. Saying, yeah. Oh, I yeah. think no, the address we're looking for. I think it's on the other side of the highway. Uh, so uh, I yeah. went around by Monkland and around to the alternate dead end street in the, on the west side of the carry. Just, just to explain to to some of our listeners that there's a there's a, a, um, a an expressway uh, running in between dividing NDG from Westmount called the Carry Expressway. And there are several streets that pull up on, in, in, you know, into it and can't pass to the other from Westbound right. to NDG. Yeah. And I, I know. So you were on the Westbound side. Well, no, I was, uh, you now were on the NDG, I went. To then the you other went across side. over to the other side, and to so, the yeah, west side. And they're doing the same thing. And they're, they're doing yeah. the same yeah. thing. It made me turn into this little dead end street. Wow! All of a yeah. sudden, it's like, uh, you know, and then a guy in the back pulls out a gun. And the guy in front has scissors. He's holding like a, like a dagger and oh. poking my neck with it. You know, it's threatening. Oh, yeah. So then at one point, you know, they, they brought me. They were afraid I'd react. So they brought me down. I'm in a standard. My feet come off the pedals. And then the engine. There was no brake on. Right. So the, the car lurched the car. No, it didn't lurch. It's in, it's in neutral. Oh, okay. Gotcha. Yeah. But it started rolling. Okay. So then the car's rolling. <laughs> These guys are panicking. You say, hey, hey, stop the car. Stop the car. I said, well, let me go. Let me go. I said, they let me go. I slammed on the brake. Stop. By then, I'd hit a car. Oh, I was wow. into a car, parked car. Then, as soon as I, the car stopped, they, they bring me right back. back down. You know, then they're wow. threatening me. I pull out what I had. They wouldn't believe that's all I had. Wow. You know, so they really, they were trying to roughing me up a bit. And trying to threaten and scare me. So they thought that you had more money stashed away. That, that you had I must, 12 bucks, eight US and five yeah, Canadian. It's not normal. It right. I must you have. You must have like under the seat or something or whatever. Yeah. yeah. Some money. And they wouldn't believe you. They thought this guy's, this guy's just, you know. Bluffing. Bluffing. Yeah. Yeah. So they're really threatening you. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm curious to know, like, I mean, first of all, do they speak English or French? English. They spoke yeah. English. Interesting. Okay. And uh, yeah. Um, and, and do you remember what the gun looked like? Or do you have any? Yeah. It was yeah. like a. Standard, it was silver colored, like semi automatic. Okay, no, uh, an not a revolver, semi automatic. Interesting. And uh, and they're just regular uh, fucking kitchen scissors or whatever. You know, anyway, you must have been frightened. Well, I, I, yes no. and no. I, in a way, I'm pretty scary. In, enemy, you know. Yeah, but in, in emergencies, I've been known to be to you know cool, to stay centered. And, did uh, you let the car roll like that on purpose? No. No, that was just, just purely accidental. They, they pulled my feet off the pedals. Right, right, because they're right. And then by the time I broke, I break, you know, after when they left, I'm right up against the car. You know, we had to so, deal with insurance. So they kept on, so you, you, they had you down on the thing, the, the car rolled ahead, they said, stop the car, so you, they let you up, you stop the car, mm -hmm. and then they push you back down again, they keep yeah. threatening you for yeah. a little while longer, and then eventually, what happened? Eventually, they, they believed and they took I mean, the 12 bucks and just... And, and you know. they took my uh, film can with loonies, uh, <laughs> you know, in it. They took that away. And that was my small change. You see? Wow. And then they, they so that took... Was, yeah, not very much They money. took my city guidebook. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah, Pearlies. Yeah. Pearlies. I remember yeah. I, had, I had a Pearlies when I delivered they pizza took, in the 1990s. And I had yeah. a brand new one. Oh, that they sucks. They took that away. Yeah. Uh, he could have taken the meter and stuff like this. They no, didn't, didn't rip out the meter. Uh, Just they, for our listeners. the radio. Yeah. The radio. They left know, it. They left it. They, what he did in frustration, he reached up, took the globe light above, 
he whipped it out with his hand, whipped the light out of wow. the ceiling, and walked away. And they just casually strolled away. Yeah. You know, I called the police, all that, but man, I th I actually thought of arming myself after that. That sort I, of makes I, sense, right? Well, I, mean, I became you know. disabused of notion gradually, uh, especially discussing it with people. I even discussed it with a policeman. What did he you say? Know? Well, you know, he says, I understand that kind of frustration and wanting to defend, but it could be more problem rather than solving problems because, look, as a policeman, my greatest enemy could be my own gun mm. because if somebody rips it Gets away from me, up, I'm, I'm yeah. easily dead. Yeah. So you have to consider you're in a bad position, too, if someone threatens you from the back. You're not yeah. facing them. How do you shoot backwards? Exactly. Yeah. Even if you pull out a gun, what are you going to do with yeah, it? Yeah, you got to turn around and then, and then and maybe they, they can, can grab get it. out or yeah. grab you, yeah. grab you yeah. by neck. Who knows? Yeah. You know, it's pretty hard to control the situation. So you That's could easily, somebody could rip it away from you and then say, fuck you, and then shoot, shoot you. you. Yeah. That's it. That's really interesting. I mean, it's it's one of those things that if you did, because I wouldn't, I'm a person who, you know, I'm not opposed to people defending themselves with weapons but some a taxi driver doing that probably should train a little bit in mm. how first of all how to use the firearm in a safe way and second of all how like it like think in about situations exactly like, how you would know. you turn around would you shoot through the seat or would you sh shoot just shoot through the roof just to scare them like you mm. know think of some scenarios of how you would do it and then maybe practice them with yeah. blanks in the gun. That's what that's what I would do. But but I do the understand more I the thought about it. The yeah. more I saw, the realized, yeah, yeah. practicality, yeah. Yeah. potential downfall. Well, the other the other thing is, um, I believe in Canada. I mean, you could end up being charged with murder yes. or attempted murder if someone robbed you and you shot them. Right? Yes, that's, that's they say, terrible. Well, you know, right? Justifiable homicide. There's strict that's, criteria. Yeah, exactly. You know, yeah. if someone just <laughs> robbed you, like you say, is trying to get out of the car and you kill him dead. You're guilty of murder. Yeah, and then you'd be in prison. Yeah, so it's a, that sounds like that's uh, that's probably not such a good idea. So that, that's a that's a really um, really terrifying. And you experience. know what? Another thing yeah. crossed my mind that yeah. I thought: What if I'm driving along in my taxi, and all of a sudden I see a situation? I see a couple of guys trying to rape a girl in the you pull in and try and do something. What am I going to do? Stop. Yeah, I'm going to stop, pull out my gun, try to intervene. You what could. kind of situation would that lead to? Yeah. Somebody getting killed? On the other hand, you could save a woman from being raped. That's right. Right. It's a, so you know, yeah, it's but interesting really, or, or you could get in over your head. Very you could easily. very easily. Yeah. No, it's it's not clear to me the role of guns for self defense. Mm. I, I tend I tend to be on the side that at very least in a person's home, mm. a person should be allowed. You know, there's very strange cases in Canada and the UK where people have had home invasions. Mm -hmm. They've had people invading their home and they've shot the invader and they get charged with murder. It's like, that mm -hmm. seems to be absurd. I mean, someone no. comes into your house, no, no, no. you know, they're, they're, they're threatening you or whatever, like with their, you know, just, mm -hmm. the, you know, and you shoot them and you get, you know, it's very strange. No, but I, I on the street, it's a little bit different, right? Because yeah. you're in a public space, there's potential danger of killing other people if the bullet strays. And, and, and also, really, right? you're not, you're, it's not your personal private space being That's invaded. Yeah. You're like you say, you're accosted in a public space. Yeah. Uh, yeah. There could be other ways to handle it. That's right. But yeah. if somebody like you say actually penetrates into your home, I think that's crossing the line. Your I home should, should be, be your place. If yeah. someone's coming into that, that's 
And now a case could be made (laughs) if somebody catches someone trying to steal in his house, pins him down, and it proceeds to torture him, you know, cut his balls <laughs> off or, or, or carve an eye out. Are or you something. proposing this? Yeah, uh, but I'm yeah. saying if somebody, you know, yeah. then indulges yeah, in of those course. kind of yeah, right, 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 right. Yeah, then then, going Okay, you can yeah. make a case that, that it's unjustified. Yeah. But you catch someone in your house and you feel threatened. But it's it's just interesting to me that you you were effectively you were a victim of a violent crime. That yeah. that's a violent crime. They yeah. you know, they they, they they didn't actually well they, they were you physically hurt? I mean, was uh, there any somewhat s- little bit? I yeah. bruised and scratched yeah. all over my neck. Any blood I, from I, the scissors? I bruises Did... in my arms. Yeah, uh, yeah there were scratches. scratches. Nothing yeah. too nothing serious. No, no, no gashes. I would classify you as a victim of violent crime. Well, yeah, it's not a serious I, one, but I mean, these it guys was troubling yeah. too. I mean, sure. I, I thought about it quite a bit after that. It Did was you have post-traumatic stress a little bit. Helen was, you know, yeah, she very upset. Of course. I think I think my when I first started driving Uber, I could tell my wife was not happy with uh, it, you know. And Uber is much safer than taxi for a variety of reasons. It's all tracked, you and know, who's right? Exactly. You're waving, you know. When you're driving a taxi, you don't know who these guys are. They're, you know, they're off. They're literally on the street. People you've you know, never seen before, had, and you may never see again. Yeah. Right? I had plenty of other incidents which weren't as quite as directly violent. Which were nonetheless troubling. Any of them worth recounting? I'm curious. Well, the, uh, here was one guy, a real asshole, who had picked, you know, as actually a regular customer in Westmount in an apartment building going downtown. This is going far. He gets in my car and he starts acting like he's an insane person who. But has, you knew him. You said no. Oh, yeah, I, think I you said knew it was that regular... he was a regular oh, customer okay. because me. I right. knew the address from hearing right. it over right. the radio. Right. He comes in the car and then he shows that he's hiding something, and then he's playing a game with me. He's trying to convince me that he's holding a live grenade, oh, that the pin is removed, that he's just holding the handle of a grenade. So it's like then. You put on guard that anything you say could trigger off this guy. That's his game. So he went on like this. At first, at first I thought... Well, what if it's true? No, you, but at you, first you, I didn't think that. At first uh, I thought, uh, he's an idiot. He's, he's playing some stupid game. After all, but he was so persistent. Mm-hmm. That after a while I started to start wondering, you know, what am I going to do here if this guy's actually on the level and means yeah. it? And he kept this up all it became clear by the time we were arriving that it was all bullshit right, and he was right. putting me on. But I I gave him shit, you know, I said. <laughs> and, you know, I... As I, he was leaving, he, did he no, pay? No, well, actually, yeah. I didn't give him shit right away. I saw him after. I, you know, he paid me. I, another day, he, I hear the call going out. <laughs> you grab it. By then, too, I was a supervisor at Atlas Taxi. Okay. I, another guy was waiting for the same guy. I parked next to him and waited for the guy. He came into the car, and then I was telling the driver and him at the same time, I see, I'm a supervisor at this company. Now, I'm telling my driver here that you're an asshole and that you, not to take any bullshit from you of any stupid games, psychological games you want to try to play with him. So you're put on notice here. I know where you, who you are and where you live, and you'll be barred as customer if uh-huh. we have any more problems of this sort. Oh, no, I was just kidding, blah, blah, blah. Another guy tried to rob me. 
he actually grabbed me from behind. Wow. And he was he brought me to the back of Loyola to rob me. In NDG. In yeah. NDG. Yeah. And I defended myself. I Suddenly, I don't know how I did it. I reacted so quick. I turned and grabbed both his hands. Wow. Before he knew what was happening, I had a nine grip on both his wrists. Interesting. And he was just so... He was stunned. Like homie, yeah. like homie. Yeah. Yeah, like yeah, right. And they're like, oh, yeah. yeah. And this went on for a while after he calmed down a bit. You know, what was he trying to do? Was he, was he trying to, so he was just grabbing around to, to try and reach for the, the, the money? Well, I don't know. He was going to threaten right, me. Okay. I don't know. He didn't yeah. have a weapon. Right. But yeah. then after he says, oh, it's a gag. I was just trying yeah, to scare right. me. Yeah. And then later, I, I really thought about that. Probably a year later, I caught up to him because I kept thinking, what am I going to do if I pick up this guy in the street again? Mm -hmm. And I did downtown one day, and I recognized him. He didn't right, recognize right, me at all. Right. I, I said, this is that asshole. I went, you know, he was going to so, DG again. So the same thing, going to... Well, yeah, no, but not necessarily. Fare. No, he was just taking a taxi home, probably. No, but I mean, he was going to the same neighborhood. And, well, in that yes, direction. Right, right, right. But what I did is I pulled over at our main taxi stand near Vando Metro, right next to all my colleagues, you know, and then I turned around and said, you, I remember you from last year. In front of the other yes. tax, yeah, taxi you know, drivers. You tried to rob me. You grabbed me in back of Loyola. You know, you owe me $17 from that time. <laughs> now, I'm not taking you anywhere, and I'm not letting you out of this car. You give me $17 wow. for last year, and you pay me ahead for bringing you where you're going. Wow. Oh, how, do, how do you remember that? You know, I, I, so I remember you, you well. Yeah. And then... And you know, so he, okay, okay, you know, oh, I was just kidding, you yeah, know, right, and he yeah. gives me the money, yeah, and then right. I say, okay, I'll bring you there, I better not get any bullshit from you ever again, you know, I bring him to the West End, I let him off, you know, the guy turns around, and he says, he smirks, he says, you know, if I'd wanted to, I really could have killed you, you know, oh, wow. so idiots like that, I had other people trying to be intimidating, one guy who was he probably was what he said, like a, a mercenary, a guy who was like a real warrior. He looked like a son of a bitch. He's all see. built up and, you yeah. know, like steroids yeah. and the face, you know, like <laughs> yeah. a grizzled old, yeah. you know, machine gunner here. You know, but he the, but tried he, to threaten me. He tried to intimidate. But you're saying he was some sort of an, an agent or a military? No, he, he just was, looked like he told me. He, he, what did he tell he, you exactly? He told me that he he was a soldier, like a freelance soldier that been in Africa. Right. He'd been involved in civil wars and stuff like okay. that. Yeah. And he looked it. He looked like a dangerous yeah. man. He looked like a killer. I swear. Yeah. And then he, he his game was to make me understand right. that. At a moment, any time he felt like it, he could wow. kill me in an instant. And wow. he he kept, you know, kind of info, you know, inferring little things. Wow. So there's weird people like that. It's interesting. I mean, I, so you drove cab for ten years, doing it fairly regularly. So yeah. you must have had literally probably tens of thousands of people in your 
Oh yeah. Like that. Oh, yeah. So so the, the rate of actual problems is still relatively low. Oh yeah, it's not like to, most people are yeah. fine. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. No, I'm, I'm just curious to get a handle on what what the danger. I mean, there's other people who are right. a bit stupid or 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 unpleasant, but not necessarily did, a did, real problem or did, danger. Did you drive mostly at night? Actually, in my case, yes. Mostly I night, yeah. I focused yeah. evening even. Yeah. Uh, so. I sometimes worked in the day, sometimes through the night, right. but mostly from afternoon to, to let's to say, club clubs closing. Okay, so that's like four in the morning. Three. Yeah, yeah, three. Well, three in the morning they close, yeah. and then there's. Well, that was yeah. my usual shift, right. but sometimes I stayed. Sometimes I wound up having breakfast with my colleagues. Oh yeah. <laughs> you know. So so what about some? You know, more lighthearted stories. I mean, you you once had uh, Bourassa, Robert Bourassa, ah, yeah. the former there prime was, minister of the Quebec. Odd celebrities you get. Yes, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Robert Bourassa, between his stints as prime minister, uh, premier right. of Quebec, he worked in a law office uh, in an uh, office building on Sherbrooke Street, okay. on the south side of Sherbrooke Street, right downtown, downtown, downtown. right downtown, yeah. and. I picked him up one evening. It's you like recognize him. He's so distinctive looking. You can't right miss him. Yeah. Yeah. You know, yeah. he's in the car. And at that time, he was angling to come back. Okay. So he was already so, starting to mount a campaign. So, he so he's talked. in the news and he's kind of, people are talking yeah, about him. Is he going to come yeah, back? Yeah, yeah, he's going to run again. Yeah, yeah. You know, and then he's telling me what he would do if he was premier again. Okay. Like how he would help people. Like So me, he's thinking, know? this is a potential voter. Exactly. And he yeah. was trying to explain to me the kind of fiscal policies and social policies <laughs> that could help. He's thinking, this is a working man. I should tell him, you know, how I can, right? Something well, like he, that. it's like yeah. obviously things he does think about. So what's the platform going to be? You know? right, right. And then, anyway, I brought him home. He lived in a, a very modern mansion on the hill in, in Westmont. No, no, in in um, Uchimont. Okay, wow. Yeah. And uh, beautiful house, like really extremely modern, uh, expensive looking house. He gets out of the car. He pays me. Yeah. He gives me exactly fifty cent tip. <laughs> now I knew from the way he did it, it was almost ritualistic yeah. that. He thought this is the correct fiscal policy in this instance. What percentage of the fare was that? Do you remember? I mean, was it, it was fifteen percent? Mm, like, was it four fifty or something or four dollars? No, it's just the fact that the way he yeah. seems calculated. Right. So he had calculated whatever the amount is. It's going to be fifty cents, and he and he yeah. gave it to you. Yeah, it yeah. was probably what seven bucks or something. It's, it's a pretty probably. small tip. Like if I think about that as a tip, a seven dollar fare, fifty cents. I, I don't know if it that's, was about that. Yeah. Anyway, but it, it just it didn't insult me, but I just found it a bit amusing. <laughs> yeah. Here's this guy, and obviously he's rich, you know, but he thinks this is the correct fiscal mentality. Here. Right. You know, you right. you give not more than a certain amount. Anyway, it's not like a generous tip, but it's not. But it's a tip. It's a tip. Right, it's a tip. He did tip you. Yes. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. but he seemed pleasant enough. I've seen people like that. I, I know I not necessarily talked to. I faced Jean Charest once. He was <laughs> oh, yeah. in the hospital where I was selling my handicraft. Uh, I saw, um, what's his name, Ryan. 
Remember, Claude Ryan. Claude Ryan. Yeah. He's in the car right beside me. The father of Bill 101, wasn't he? Was he? I think he was. He's being driven, and he's in the car at a light next to me. And I look over, oh, there's Paul Ryan. He looks at me, (laughs) kind of nods along. You know, people like that. I had odd people in my car, in my taxi. Jake the Snake. Oh, the wrestler. Yeah. 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 (laughs) Did he fit? I mean, isn't he like huge? No, he's like a regular girl. I think he... Not necessarily bigger than you. Okay, interesting. He, yeah. But he, no. I always he, think about wrestlers like Andre the Giant or something. I know. It was kind of like, you know, this else. guy was huge, right? That's and, a naturally yeah. large yeah. person. Big show, you know, you got no, these guys. this who is are a like, normal guy. Yeah. You know, but yeah. Jake the Snake, you know, he starts talking about wrestling and, yeah. and his reputation and all that. I used that, to get the, some of the hockey players. Oh, uh, yeah? I, I didn't follow hockey too much. But do you remember any particular people? Uh, yeah. I if you mention name, I, yeah. I there were some I remember at the time noting they were very yeah. well known players in the eighties mm-hmm. with the Canadians. Wow. And uh, other people like that. I I had musicians, uh, singers, uh, Michel Nouvet. <laughs> I drove my car. Uh, <laughs> Everybody from the Gazette, that's another that's thing. All the writers from the Gazette. Really? I had Aftermar? Aislinn. Aislinn, uh, yeah, yeah. Nick Aftermar, I got, yes. Yeah, yeah. I drove him. Yeah. His hat's always yeah, yeah, the famous, yeah. I drove him. He used to, you know, the area Richer? he lived there. Mordecai Richter? He, 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 no, know he him I did Gazette. drive. Yeah. Uh, Aislinn and his whole family. Terry Mosher. Terry Mosher. I'm famous cartoonist. friends with yeah. him, too. He's, uh, his wife, his two daughters, you know, now they're much older, all those people. Yeah. They were regulars at Atlas. Oh. I knew them, and okay. I talked to Terry Moshe. Okay. And I used to get, um, who's the guy uh, writes in the political about wartime? Gwyn Dyer. Oh, right. Yeah. I got him. Uh, the, who's the guy, the American sports writer, the uh, tall guy? Jack Todd? Yes. Jack Todd. Yeah. Jack Todd. Yeah. You know, I'm talking all these people. I met... Um, uh, Gwen Dyer. Gwen Dyer's not, not from Montreal, is he? I'm not sure. No, Maybe I, I have that wrong. He, yeah. But he was... He, he goes... He was working... For doing news, something. Newspaper... Yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, associations. I know. So, so just to, to sort of close that part of the discussion, do you, did you... Like, how do you look back on that? Do, do you have any like do you do you would you characterize that as a really interesting job time in your life would you oh me it was a good experience yeah uh, because uh, you're independent uh nobody's looking over your back uh you know it's fun driving around right if you feel like stop to eat and you always have well at the time you always have cash in your pocket yeah (laughs) you know you know you don't have to budget you know if yeah. I feel like having, uh, you know, a skewer of nice marinated <laughs> meat with some basmati rice, I'll stop right down and, and pay what it costs yeah. and hang out for an hour chatting to some other taxi drivers. You know, so you, uh, if I wanted a book or a record, I could walk in the store. I always had enough cash in my pocket. This is something I, I, I love about driving Uber. Not, not the cash in the pocket, obviously, because it's not done that way, but... Just, you know, like I, it's, I would end up in places that I, you know, I'm not normally in. Mm. So, mm. so I might end up in, 
you know, say stash or someplace, you know, or I'd be on the West Island, right, somewhere. And maybe there's something like, oh, yeah, I need to go to this, like, you know, there's a bookstore or something. Mm -hmm. It would pop into my mind or maybe, you know. Yeah, yeah you, I love that. That's it. I think there's a freedom to yeah. it that, that I think yeah. a lot of people don't understand. So it's interesting because I always figured taxi drivers had like shifts. That was one of the reasons I didn't want to be a taxi driver. Was Not necessarily. No. Depends who yeah. you're working with. Right. Uh, like I said, if I owned the, the car. You I owned it and you just had to pay the rent on the, uh, on the permit. On the permit, yeah. And so. then when I shared, then we agreed on our hours. So if you stop for an hour, then you just you don't make as much money. That's your, That's right. your choice, right? That's yeah. Right. So yeah, I, I got you. Yeah, it's yeah. not necessarily yeah. rigid. It's not like yeah. maybe in New York, you know, they're rigid. I think some taxi drivers in Montreal have like they work shifts. Like maybe. They, they, I think well, there's a friend of mine. Owners, well, a, you know, uh, a, a friend. So yeah, that's true. Well, a friend of mine, um, he because um, to drive Uber, mm. uh, as is the case for a taxi, you need uh, I think it's four C, or is it a five? It's a certain certain type of it's a Category simple thing. It's a it's a thing thing where you do a simple test at the at the sack. Mm. So he he applied once at uh, at Teo Taxi, mm. you know, because he had the permit and he was an Uber driver and then, mm. you know he's a friend of mine who's an Uber driver. And, uh, and they called him. They're like, yeah, you know, we'd like you to hire you. And, and what they said to him was like, well, okay, you show up, uh, at, you know, at 8 p.m. and you drive to this time. And it was all sort of structured in like a shift. And he was like, I don't want to drive a shift. You know, it's like, uh, you know, I don't want to do that. So there are some companies in Montreal doing that. Mm -hmm. Good. Okay. Um, yeah, let's. All right, good. So, um. As we move into closing here, maybe we could talk about your more recent, uh, you know, adventures and your career and so on, and maybe get up to the point where our two lives have actually sure. intersected. So sure. maybe you could talk a bit about your career as an artist. You're, you're a renowned jeweler, right? Well, it's it's less jewelry per se, like than uh, basically craft, because I made. Uh, my specialty, personally, was hair barrettes with abstract I designs. bought one. I have a beautiful oh, one for, that I bought when you were selling at Phillips Square. So it's yeah. a Mokume Gandhi <laughs> technique applied to polymer clay and other materials to layer interesting patterns that, in the end, when they're fired and finished, sanded, polished, they're one-of-a-kind pieces. Right. So I did that up until two years ago after my diagnosis with ALS and right. the pandemic hitting yeah. immediately yeah. after. My career basically <laughs> came to a grinding halt. But a lot of people, I think. Yeah. So yeah. I said, okay, but... I, and by the same token, 2020, 2020 was an excellent year for me. Really? In spite of the fact I'd just been diagnosed with ALS, I had the time of my life in 2020. We saw each other at that yeah. time. We had our we had our, our reunion clowns meeting. With, yep. Yeah. Yep. With the gang. And early in the year, right? I mean, right on the point of the pandemic. Yes. I, I think we met here yeah. in this very house. That's right. Possibly a week or so before, as far as I remember. But that year, uh, I went out. I explored all the nature reserves and, and fields everywhere that I could think of, of discovering in the whole general area. I walked everywhere. I, my walking started barely being affected by right, ALS. Right. I had a slight limp from that summer. 
but I walked everywhere, long walks. Interesting. I, I would like to take my cannabis and go out for long walks, and even the yeah. heat waves. You know, in 2020, we had this hot. endless series of heat waves. Yeah. In June, never seen so many heat waves in June, yeah. in July, too. And I would go out, I feel good. You know, I go weather. for long walks, you I feel like all <laughs> enveloped. I go into the, the marsh areas there, and everything seemed to be just sizzling simmering. With, yeah. simmering with life, you know. I loved it. I went to uh, France to visit my daughter in August, spent three weeks over there. We walked everywhere along canals and rivers and with my grandkids. And w was everything shut down over there? No, it, yeah. no. Well, there it was, was 2020. Yeah. yeah, but it was an in-between period right. that allowed right. for some travel. So... No, but I mean, just in Paris, you know, because I, I was out doing food. I, I stopped driving Uber in 2020 and I went on Zoom for my job as a teacher. Yeah. And then and then I, I, I didn't want to do Uber because at that time we thought it was like Ebola. So I didn't want people in my car. But I said I'd do food delivery. So I was driving around and I remember I was go, I was driving along Dorchester Boulevard, just not a soul. I was the only car. It looked like something in a science fiction movie. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah. I drive down to pick up the food in Chinatown, just pull up and park anywhere, you know, just walk. It, it was it was like something. It was like, is this real? You know, so I wonder, was Paris That's like that? two years ago. That's two years no, ago. Was it? Uh, no, because, it, first of all, it was after that period. It was right, less right. locked down. Later but in the year. while yeah. I was there, they, before I left, and days before I left, they had imposed... Again, a mask directed for outdoors yeah, and public God. places in Paris. I've heard about that. The in whole France. Paris zone. So, anyway, I, I've heard that in France, that, and also in, in my wife's country, in the Dominican Republic, they had this thing where you, even when you're walking on the street, you're supposed to wear a mask. Which just I, it was just such a strange thing to impose. It was very weird, and it also, I mean, it's sort of I don't know. You imagine it, people. You just, I, I just sort of could imagine a lot of uh, acrimony with authorities because some people would just sort of, I, don't, I just, that's how I sort of imagine, well, but I, I don't didn't know. encounter so yeah. much of that. But yeah. anyway, just to say that I, I had a terrific year. Uh, that's you know, great. I that's upgraded great. my stereo. <laughs> I, I got into going through my whole vinyl collection. I had a huge vinyl. I have half of what I had. Did you uh, sell it? Did you? I, I gave, I gave. sell, sold. Yeah. I sold some. I gave some to our friend Ken. Oh, nice! I gave him yeah. a whole bunch. Ken of Ken Doolittle. Like Shout out to Ken Doolittle. Jazz. Yeah. Avant-garde <laughs> jazz albums and other things. Yeah. You know, he likes the stuff that's really off the beaten path. Definitely. So, uh, yeah. All the stuff that, well, I trimmed down. I really culled my collection. I kept a few, you know, emotional favorites and stuff. I still have a decent collection. Well, I'm, I'm looking at it and I'm seeing several shelves here uh, you know it looks like a couple of hundred records to no me. there's 600 600 okay yeah all right there we go uh, so not anyway, to mention the cds up there I can and that, see that's just part the more, yeah. most of the cds are over back there right right yeah you see sticking up no look at the shelves right back wow there. yeah boy so i yeah. have probably about 14 to 1500 cds and i have a terabyte of music on hard drive <laughs> wow you know, it's that's like amazing. a lot of stuff but yeah. just to say, I had a, an interesting time through into last winter. A year ago, around the spring, I really started having trouble with mobility. The walking became much harder. Now I can't walk at all. I, 
I could only drive an adapted vehicle, right. and which I'm waiting for. Yeah. So that's the current situation. But with the handicraft, as far as that, I got out of taxi business to join my wife, Helen, in making things. So she started doing that. She started doing right, that. while you were doing the taxi Because we then. were transplanted right. to Léry. We were right. living in Montreal. We lived after the plateau in Guilford Street. Guilford Street. Wow, nice. For basically uh, four. We lived there seven years. Then we lived for nine years on, in uh, NDG, on Hingston Street, right. below Sherbrooke. Right. Very nice. I love the neighborhood. We thought then it was time to buy. Helen's mother had died. Her father gave some money, you know, related to some succession. And he, we, okay, time to buy something. But we found it pricey even then in Montreal. Now this is the 90s? 89. 89. Late 89. We wound up looking the Shattuck area. Things I didn't like at first, but then we we wound up contacting an agent who brought us to Leary here. Now I've been in visiting Leary since years. 1990. Wow. And first in the house two doors away, now in this house since 99. I feel happy here. I paid up the house 2002. There's Great, this yeah. beautiful environment here. Which it's, seen. It is beautiful. And yeah. you know, now my my current wife, Carla, has been living with me for better part of five years. Well, we've been together for five years, really. And she kind of gradually moved in here. And now we co-own this house. And, uh, you know, we like the area. We enjoy the, the, the atmosphere, the trees, the lake. The people are it's, nice. The, it's, the, the, all that's nice. That's it's very beautiful. I mean, it is yeah. stunning out there. I just wanted to point that out to everybody. That's objectively true. From 1990, you know, moving in here changed our life, you know. Uh, my wife suddenly was out of a job. I continued doing taxis, shuttling back and forth. For how long my, did you do that for? Uh, uh, for three years, a year and a half. Uh, yeah. But at first... As soon as we moved in here, the Oka crisis oh happened. God. And you couldn't get back in the couldn't city. Couldn't get back in the city. <laughs> yeah, had, right, and right. there was no Highway 30 That's then. Right, so right. you had a convoluted road. Either go to Valleyfield. To yeah. Valleyfield <laughs> yeah. and Baudet. And then all the way back around. Yeah. Or you had to go down to Mercier, to like St. Isidore area. Oh my back God. towards St. Constant. To the and Champlain. over to the 15 and then yeah. the Champlain Bridge. Wow. It was insane. God. That's for the whole summer. Yeah. We said, what the hell did we do? But all that sorted itself out. Definitely. But at that yeah. time, then not long after, Helen, not having time in her hands, she started, she was always crafty person. She was in fine arts when I met You mean her. she liked to do crafts? She yeah. liked to do crafts. Because you yeah, say she yeah. was crafty. <laughs> yeah, crafty. Yeah, crafty. Yeah. So she but liked to do... Uh, she had a background uh, in fine arts. When okay. I met her, she was at Dawson Night School in right. fine arts. Right. Uh, then she started... And she'd always done various things with, with macrame and ceramics and kinds of things. Now she started working, making jewelry. And using polymer clay and then later other materials. But then we started selling that year at small, you know, first a couple of Tupperware-like parties. And then first craft fairs that year. 
Then we got a permit in the city, Montreal. And as soon as that was happening, I saw there was a way to make a go of this, to make money mm -hmm. if we worked together on it. Right. So right. I gradually, within that year, I gave up taxi. It this is the early 90s, right? Is... I tried to do both at once, help her with that. But tough. at some point I said, no, I stopped taxi. And I eventually I stopped even renewing my permit as a backup. So then we went full scale into that. We had a permit from the city. I would, at first I was in St. Catherine Street and different places, Montreal Trust. And Phillips Square for many years. That's that's what I remember. And I've been I, in old Montreal. Yeah. I remember going to your stall there yes, a couple you've times. Seen me there. Yeah, it was, a, they, it was, uh, you know, across from the Bay or Morgan's or whatever. Yes, yes. Yeah. You and yeah. Fanny had stopped. Yeah, to say yeah. yeah. Uh, we bought we bought one of your. Yeah. It's a nice place to sell it. So I, you were there for a really long time in that. Well, spot, I right? I was further west there for years, from from two thousand one. Uh, to God, now 2001, I was at Phillips Square. Then, so for, uh, yeah, right. for quite a few years, then Helen died in 2011. I continued the last two years, I was in Old Montreal and Phillips mm -hmm. Square, but now I've been out of it for two years. Just over in, two years. In Old Montreal on... Uh, Jacques-Garcia Jacques Plaza. Yeah, yeah, because you said Phillips Square. So I was no, sure. Phillips Square right. first, and right. then Jacques-Garcia right. Plaza. Was that... Was that? Because I remember you moved over there at this, just the last couple of years. Did that work out well or not so good? Or Oh, well, it was okay. Yeah. Was I that, liked it well seems enough. Seems like a good spot. I mean, but you know, I, It just... Yeah. At one point, I had less stock than I used to. I was yeah. already slowing down. Like I said, now it's all finished. I can't do the work. Yeah, of course, naturally. My, my right hand has no function. Yeah. But uh, as far as the experience of that, I really enjoyed. We did craft fairs and summer festivals. We would do the Francofolie. Same site as the Jazz Festival. The Jazz Festival. I remember Francofolie. Yeah. It was fun. It was they, out the street. There were yeah. all kinds of And they had stuff. vendors with yeah. crafts. Yeah. You know, jewelry like us and whatever. And not a jazz festival. Same site, same organizers. They didn't do that for the jazz. But the jazz That's festival right. brought yeah. a lot of people into the area. Yeah. So we'd be on Phillips Square, a few blocks from the jazz festival site. Yeah. People would spill over on us in any case. Anyway, that's how it went. And that was interesting, being in St. Catherine Street, hearing the, being at the... The Festival de la Giblotte in Sorel. Sorry. You know, I saw Jean Leloup on stage. <laughs> oh, yeah? Doing yeah. a rocking out oh, he's concert. Great. He's great. Wow, he was jamming. The band him. was laying it down. Like, they got yes. into a heavy kind of reggae-like rock groove. Wow. And really, it was probing. And in the night, you know, it was... I, I would imagine better. he's really good. Lying. He was very I, good. I could imagine, because he's a very interesting artist mm. as a... His music is very unusual. He mixes in, and lyrically, it's interesting as well. well I've seen all kinds of people yeah. at these festivals. You know, yeah. you sometimes stop selling a bit, or my wife would hold the fort. I go, <laughs> go see, yeah. you know, there was an Ottawa, so Reverend Horton Heath. Oh, yeah. You know, I said, I, I, I share a little bit of intersection Bill with, Frizzell, with, you know, with, with this. Because I, I worked for several years with a jewel, an art jeweler. I, I probably yeah. told you this. She, the art jeweler's manifest design, which they mm. they use a anodized aluminum and they craft mm. it, and it still exists. At least it did in, in mm. Montreal. And anyway, 
Uh, and so we, a couple of times, we would do, you know, festivals and stuff. And, and we did, um, one time we did Lollapalooza. You may remember it was a big music festival. Yeah. And uh, we did, and so I remember seeing the Beastie Boys and, uh, you know, a bunch of, it's like, a, and it was exactly what you're describing. We, were, we had the booth with all our stuff. And, and when things would slow down, you know, maybe, you know, Nelson would go walking around and then she would come back. Oh, and I would go off and walk around and see Cypress Hill or whatever. Good. Is there anything else? Yeah, I've got a couple I things I'd like to ask. Yeah, uh, go ahead. Yeah. About um, the, what led to us meeting, too, because yeah. that started after Helen died. Uh, within the year, I started going to some meetups, the first one being the Skeptics in the Pub. We went to one together. I think we did. Yeah, Mitch, and too. And, Mitch uh, was there. Mitch Hyman. Shout yeah. out, Mitch Hyman. <laughs> and uh, I remember one of my former students, Renaud, you knew, I forget, yes, it was Renaud Beauchemin. Beauchemin, it's got to be him. He's got long hair. Yeah, tall. He recognized me. Guy. I was like, he looked kind of familiar. And then he, and then he was like, guy. hey, Jason. Yeah, he's a big guy. And, and I remember it was at that pub in Côte de Neige. Um, yes, yes. Uh, what's it called there? Uh, Houblon or something? Yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. Houblon? Yes. Uh, on Garnier. Or, I forget yeah, yeah. But anyway, yeah. yeah. Is that... I mean, I'm not sure if we met Saint Houblon. Saint Houblon, right? Uh, no, we did. We knew each other already. Yeah. We had already gone together with Mitch right, to. Uh, right. We went to uh, yeah. have coffee in Bernard Street. Street. Yes, and but That's before Mitch's stomping that, ground, we right? knew before <laughs> yeah. that yeah. day we knew each other on Facebook. That's so true. So after yeah. Helen died, it led to first meetups, skeptics in the pub. That's where I met my grud. My grud is who led me to my getta because they were old friends. Oh, interesting. You see? So, and then my grud also, there was a whole circle of music-related people. And I went to his parties and I met all kinds of interesting people. And there's connections with people we mutually know. And then my getta, the discussions, I met him in person, but also on Facebook with commentaries. And that's where I came across you. yeah. And then Mitch Hyman, yeah, and then Ken Doolittle and Sid Parkinson. Sid first, then Ken Doolittle, and uh, we somehow seem to have connected me and Mitch and Sid through a guy called John Hamer. I don't know if you're friends with him. John, I'm sure you've heard us talking about I him. I think so. He he has a podcast. Oh, oh you know, I know. Yeah. I'm, I'm yeah. faithful. Faithful, right? Yeah, John Faithful. Okay, I, I don't know why I don't like using that name just because I don't know. It's John weird. Hamer. Faithful. It's Hamer or Hammer? I think it's Hamer. I'm Facebook friends with him too. Yeah, and he's a good guy. The, he's a good guy. Yeah, yeah, the yeah. guy in the states, sir, Mark Doro. You know him? Yeah, yeah. I'm trying yes, to think. I met he, him. I think he blocked me recently. Uh, I, it was oh, yeah. yeah. It was weird. It was, I don't know. I because he he was he would he was doing this thing where. He would put up like this little one line thing, like kind of like, you know, it was sort of this teaser, like it would say something. Like a conversation started. Yeah, kind of. And it was sort of like, it was like it would say something like, you know, the, 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 uh, you know, manifest destiny and it's, you know, and like dot, dot, dot or something or whatever. And it was sort of, and it was sort of like how every time I'd see it, I was like, this is so obviously designed to hook me in. So I would like scroll past. Like, I, don't, I, I, I have this rebellious personality. I was like, I don't want to be drawn in. And one time I kind of went in and I was like, what's the deal with this? Like, you're, you know, I was just kind of like commenting on your 
you're trying to get us to comment. Like, I just was sort of raising a comment. He didn't know what I was talking about. And then he freaked out just because I was like, it's a bit, you know, it's a little bit, you know, you're kind of, you're using this tactic. It's kind of, it seemed, I was just sort of saying it's a little bit of a cheap tactic. It was maybe a little inappropriate what I did, but he kind of freaked out. I didn't <laughs> it was really weird. Though. Anyway, we, the whole thing with Facebook, it's such a weird thing. And Twitter, social media. I can't, just, man. I didn't try Twitter. You know, on Twitter. Yeah. He tells me I, I don't yeah. want anything. I think but Facebook, I find it served me well enough. I find it's an interesting circle of acquaintances. It's more of I, a social, I, actual thing. Twi- Twitter is more of a media platform. It seems like news, yeah, like yeah, things going yeah. on. Oh my god! And people reaching millions of people. You know, I like guess. it's kind of. You know, I, I I can't yeah. handle. It. Yeah. I have a friend I do. We have friends in common too. Maybe you know who Irene Obrizic is. I think She's so, a writer, too. Yeah. And a teacher. Like oh, yeah? She teaches at Dawson. Oh, nice. She teaches English at Dawson. Oh, yeah, okay. Yes. Yeah, yeah. And uh, yeah. She's, she often, uh, you know, comes up with uh, with things like that. Yeah. We, ha- Hamer's also a teacher at uh, John Abbott. There's a number of us that are, uh, that are you know, educators, right? Mm. No, yeah. but she, she is on. She's the one I know who's on Twitter and talks about it. Oh, really? Okay, but yeah. Apart from that, I don't yeah. deal with that. Well, it, it sounded like you were making a case that social media helped you in with your wife passing. Is that Well, not immediately because I didn't join right, right away. It's yeah. interesting because when Helen died, she was on Facebook for a couple of years before that. It goes back to the mid-2000s, right? But Starting. she had started, what, 2009 maybe, and yeah. died 2011. Yeah. And in the meantime, she didn't use it like me. She just kept in touch with some relatives, yeah. a couple of old friends. You know, it was like they'd keep in touch with her cousins. And uh, we did. We found an old friend of mine uh, that I always called Mano, Octavio Moreira Lima, in Rio de Janeiro, Brazil. Wow. Uh, he was living in Montreal at the time I met Helen. And I was already friends with him, and we knew him with Helen, and we were good friends. And he went back to Rio in 1976, just before Helen and I got actually married. But with Facebook, at one point we thought, who do we know on Facebook? We started thinking of all people. What about Mano? But wait, what was his real name? It was Octavio (laughs) Lima. Okay, so I punched that in. There's like ten zillion of them all in Brazil. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, but they said, wait a minute, wait a minute. It was he had a middle name. It was Octavio Morela Lima, mm. like Ayrton Morela, the percussionist. <laughs> yeah. And uh, then all of a sudden we see this guy. Oh, wrinkles, you know. But it's him. Gray hair. Yeah. Look at the nose. Look at that chin. <laughs> yeah. It's him. It's him. Anyway, we yeah. started. I got reacquainted with him. Now we're good friends again after all this time. So amazing. And, and yeah. I've met interesting people through Facebook. I've reconnected. Yeah. Well, you and I yeah. basically know each other through yeah. Facebook. He's, and that's, he, you know. Originally. Yeah. And so, I mean, like, it's the, the circle of friends we've built together. I find are very, very good friends. Mm-hmm. You know, like, I'm very happy with that. It's weird because social media, people, there's a lot of discussion about how it has all these destructive. And there are. I mean, like this Duro guy blocking me. I mean, things like this. Like people miss, you know, saying mean things because they're not in front of the person. People mm. taking things the wrong way and all this kind of, you know, political problems of bots and all this mm. stuff. 
But there, there strikes me there's a lot of positive impact from social media and other types of YouTube and stuff. Like I'm, I, I'm not really sure. Like when, when I look around at the whole discussion about these these things, that it's well, negative. Like, really, I like you know? the circle of relationships because on the one hand it involves. It's not like it's all in the abstract. I know a lot of these people right, in right. person. Yeah. You know, either that I already knew them before Facebook yeah. or after Facebook, you like interacted you, personally, yeah, exactly. Person. Yeah. Right. And in other cases, yeah. Yeah. people I met through somebody I know, through friends in common, through exchanges of comment and some post, and I've met some, made some very good friends who I subsequently may, met in person. Totally, yeah. And or reacquainted was this guy Bob Cohen. Another musician. I know all these musicians. For one reason, familiar. I know musicians, painters, <laughs> teachers. <And> teachers yeah. <laughs> yeah, and I've got a few engineers. Interesting. But, yeah. Know, yeah. Mike Rudd is a good case. He's point. a musician. That's, that's an interesting Montreal story, too, because he's coming from Edmonton originally. Oh, yeah? But he lived many years in Montreal. Now he's in BC teaching oh, at okay. university. Maybe that's why I haven't seen him around much yeah, on Facebook yeah. or something. Uh, he yeah. goes on there. Yeah. But he probably, I've never met him in person. You might not. Yeah. Uh, right, you know. But he, um, he in uh, 2014, he won a Juno wow. for best jazz album with vocals wow. for the year for wow. an album that he wrote and led the uh, Called right. Notes on Montreal. <laughs> nice. All the songs yeah. of which were related to themes about oh, Montreal, about Saint Henri, wow. about Schwartz's The Main, or whatever. That's so cool. And I have it. Yeah, yeah. But wow. it's it's an interesting. Anyway, he loved Montreal, but now he took a good job with the university in BC. I always find it very sad when I hear these stories about people who. You know they love living in Montreal, and then they go, they take a job somewhere. You know because they, and then and then you know when you go see them, they're gonna be like, oh boy, I used to love. They're gonna be all happy to talk to a Montrealer, you know. And I always think, boy, that's kind of sad. And you know, I, I don't know if that's, but if that's an arrogance of a Montrealer talking right. or what. I don't know what that is. But yeah, go ahead. Bob Cohen was uh, I knew in the eighties. It's funny, There's it's a three-layer thing because I didn't know him in the 70s, but I saw him. I saw him perform wow. as part of Jesse Winchester's band. He was the lead guitarist of a full band. Winchester sometimes played solo and something of a full band. Okay. We were at the Mustache on Lambert Cross across from the Forum yeah. in the 70s. Probably <laughs> talking 76, something like that. We're in this big club watching Jesse Winchester, who I'd seen before in a smaller venue. In the middle of the concert, the police raided the place. Wow. Completely swarmed. Every, of course, everybody smoked in those days. Right, right. And there was a lot of hash and pot, especially <laughs> hash in those days. So everybody was suddenly throwing their big <laughs> chunks of hash on the floor. You know? My my friend at our table, he lost a big chunk of ash. He was quite dismayed. But it's so ridiculous to interrupt all this fun. It really ruined the evening. But Bob Cohen was playing guitar there. Now, I knew this from terminate afterward. 
But then in the 80s, when I was driving taxi, Bob Cohen was a regular customer. Oh, nice. He would call our company, and God, I must have driven him 20 times. That's you amazing. know, and then we would chat about music. He'd be on his way to recording Show session. Yeah, right, right. Session musician. Yeah. And so I got to know him. Then he left. I left taxi. He left Montreal. He was in Toronto. Then I met him on Facebook through exchanges with other people. Then we look, kind of glanced at each other across <laughs> the beans. Hey, don't we know each other? You know, so then we became reacquainted and we've oh, seen each other. Really? So, really? And through Bob Cohen, I met this guy, Michael Kavanaugh, who's become a very good friend of mine. That's crazy. And we've met since, you know? And, uh, and he's That's great. And he he's... knows that I mean. You know, and my, you know, it's crazy. All these connections. It, it is interesting how you, you get into these sort of connections. I mean, this this thing that I, that, you know, Robert Wilkins, this person I went and bought the book mm. from, he his wife is the sister of this guy Callum McCreary that I lived with in like I lived, I worked with in Slovakia, and we we used to hang out together a lot. And he's British, like I mean. And how that, and this, you know, Robert Wilkins, a local Montreal guy that I'm friends with on Facebook, mm. and this was a total, you know, I mean, just coincidence, you know. Mm. It's a, these weird things that you don't know whether this is like six degrees of separation or whether it's just some sort of, you know. Mm. Good. Okay. Um, one of the things I'd like to do um, just as we close is to think a little bit about two things. Uh, start with the negative and maybe something more positive. Um so regrets and legacy, right? So of everything you've talked about throughout your life, do you have any regrets? Think There's two kinds, right? So you, is there anything you regret that you did? Or is there anything that you could have done? You reached a point where you could have done it, but you chose not to do it. You know? Oh, I don't know. I, I pondered these things like anybody else. It's like, it's like psychological game in a way. You know, it's like wondering what you would do if you won like uh, the lottery. You know, oh, yes, that I would maybe do this, or I'd be careful not to fall into all these pitfalls. Whatever, you contemplate it with what could I have done different. My God, there's all kinds of things. crossroads. Yeah. Uh, in Europe, when I that six months in Europe, there was a big crossroad that I oh, didn't yeah? take. Yes, I could have gone. It, it would have required a leap of faith of some sort. I don't know. I went along with the flow, but I would have had to make big decision but I could have gone elsewhere and I could have met up with a girl I met and possibly that could have turned into an interesting relationship now there was connection but I never followed up on it you see and things like that people you meet so you you knew her and you guys were you know and you could have pursued her but you chose she was she looked like she was interested and you decided to just well i would have had to go well out of my way from the way things were going i was in grenoble heading towards switzerland and eventually to germany and holland and she went to paris yeah and she said she gave me her address and phone number she says come to paris see me hook up but, but you never, the other thing is, even if no, you've done that, you don't one know. Example, yeah, yeah, that's one example. It's, it's a good example, but right? Because yeah. a lot of things could happen. If I hadn't yeah. been deported from Holland when I did. 
Oh, you were deported. I was they, deported. Okay, when so I was they, okay, up with right? The okay, so there. okay, so, so so that okay. Now well, I'm now I'm seeing the. I think the word deported. I'm not sure if it came in. Maybe it did. And I missed well, it. Well, they but, deported me for vagrancy, right. and probably because they also made the connection that my parents were looking out. For right, me. right, right. So right, I got you. But yeah. I was. I, what was it stamped in my passport? Something <laughs> lost to reeling or something. Some I didn't Dutch understand. words or yeah. something. Yeah, but. Yeah. Right, KLM to Norval. I never get a did get a bill for that. They just they give you a free flight home, basically. <laughs> so it yeah. turned out like a pretty good okay. thing, right? You know. Well, in any case, I would have had a free flight with yeah. the military. Right, right, right. Back that's true. To the right location. Interesting. So that that's something. Yeah, there's there's a few things. I mean, that was, you know, it's, it's true. I mean, it's really it's one of those exercises you don't know. You know, there's so many different. Every every single day we walk out and there are things where we make a little choice or yeah. if we made a slightly different choice that yeah. all these dominoes would fall in well, different yeah, directions. It's easy to be critical. Right. I'm I certainly look at you know, you remember more easily the stupid things yeah, you've done. That's true. Than the commendable things yeah. you've done, you know. It's the negativity bias that yeah. we seem to have, it's right? Like, yeah. Oh, yeah. How could I have been so stupid as to, to say it. that or yeah. do that? What an idiot! You know what was I thinking? Whereas, whereas you, you give a great speech or something, you just forget. Well, yeah, yeah, or, or something great. You say well, something really nice. Something, if I wrote it down, I'll remember. Yeah, <laughs> no, but I mean, if if something happened at a party and you told a great joke, you yeah. probably forget about that the next well, day. Well, it doesn't you know? connect the same right? way as yeah. the pain of humiliation. Yes, or, yeah. Or, that, I mean, or, that, that, that's a biological self, yeah self depredation. You know. <laughs> There's supposedly some sort of an evolutionary bias for that, the, the negativity oh, yeah. bias, in the sense that, I mean, it's for the same reason that you know, if you're if you're walking along on a savanna or whatever, mm. and something twitches in the bushes. Mm. I mean, there's a 99% chance it's not a snake, mm -hmm. but if it is a snake, mm -hmm. then you're toast, right? Yeah. So you you a rational the negativity you feel, the negative emotion is actually yeah. a reasonable thing to feel there. So it somehow transmits into our personal lives where yeah. we criticize this is just a theory people have, okay. right? you know i don't know if it's true or not but so we tend to remember the negative yeah. stuff more than the positive because it's more yeah, impacting on us right? like that yeah. yeah but i try not to dwell too much on that's on, true on, yeah but i yes there's are the things yeah faced with the same situation i may have done differently what would it what result i mean so many things could have gone differently yeah. i think i would have been essentially the same person through it all. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I think there would have been a core uh, perception, sense of who you of are, who I am, of identity and values that I think would have been there regardless of if I'd taken some of these different paths. Well, you were formed, right? I mean, you're, everything you're talking about is all post your age of about 20, more or less, right? So. You were basic. You had more or less been formed as a person. We're not talking about your childhood. No, but the, right? those crosswords so, could have happened. That's uh, true. Yeah. Do you also, even think? I mean, if you had been a child and something drastically different, you don't think it would have formed you differently? Yeah, it's hard to know. Yeah, it's, you're, you're making me think about that show that you like with that. Uh, you know, there's East Berlin or in Berlin, the two different worlds. Oh, the uh, counterpart. Counterpart, and how. The same J. guy is these, uh, yeah. J.K. J.K. Simmons is a really good actor, yeah. and, he, and so these two worlds is like a, these two different parallel universes that yeah. are effectively an allegory for East and West Berlin, honestly, yeah. right? But and there's this portal in between them, yeah. and there's one people that go back and forth to try yeah. and you know manage the thing. 
but J.K. Simmons's character is sort of a radically different person in these different yes, realities. But he right? was the same person. He was. He was before right. Before <laughs> these two universes split, after right. an experiment yeah. gone wrong, some kind of big physics experiment that. It's, it's created this. Is that what it is? Yeah, yeah. I, I may I may have forgotten that, but it's 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 one of those things that makes me think just about what you're saying. How you'd be the same person? It's it's hard to know. I mean, you know how much of you is you, mm. and how much of it is formed by the experiences, mm. and just it's very hard to know. There has to be some core you, and there has to be some core me. I think right? because I think, I think that because different parts of my life, I've come to. I've observed where I am and what I'm thinking, and I find certain things that have been there all along. So, in some ways, I recognize who I was as a kid. Right. You right. see, as a teenager, yeah. I tended to distance myself from earlier years in terms of your mentality. Oh, I'm not the same now. That's what I'm, all teenagers do, I'm right? A, yeah. Yeah. I'm, you 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 want to define yourself as I'm new and different in some now, way. Yeah. Yeah. You know, but. Yeah. Then later you say, oh, it's stupid <laughs> things you did as a teenager. And then later, I find I find myself again. I, I kind of started recognizing the person, not just at one age, but the person who was young, mm. teenage, adult. The through line? Yeah. The through way, line between. I recognize yeah. the person. Like right. now I feel yeah. more like the person I've always been. Mm. You yeah. see, I, it's like I know myself better. I, th I think it's, it's a, it should be a natural process that as as you go through life, you do learn about yourself. Mm. When you're young, how could you know about yourself because you're still forming yourself yeah. and you're, you know, it's kind you of... You wish you could go back. And yeah, yourself, yeah, right? yeah. <laughs> yeah. Was it, it? My, my father used to, I remember one time my father and I used to sit on his porch and, you know, when I was a kid and we'd talk and stuff. And I remember one time, you know, we were talking about this thing and he said, oh, you know, there's this expression, youth is wasted on the young. Mm -hmm. You heard that, right? Yeah. Just kind of like what you're talking about. If I could go back to my 20-year-old self, you know, with but the with, energy and everything that I had, with, yeah, with the brain that I have now and the experiences I have now, it was, you know, but yeah. I can't because yeah. you can't, that's not how life works. That's you know? right. That brings me to something else I want to get to before we go to the legacy thing, which I, I think is going to be interesting, but you're not a religious person. You're, I'm you're not an atheist. atheist. You were yeah, raised... I'm not ambiguous about it. No, I no, no but a Catholic? Roman Catholic. A Roman Catholic, okay. But my dad also became an atheist, by the yeah. way, in later life. But me, I toyed with other things. But, you know, I was an earnest little Catholic when I was eight years old. Good French-Canadian? Yeah. Pretty much, yeah, you know. Yeah. But already <laughs> in my preteens, I had doubts. I became quickly a heretic. I didn't buy... Dogma, you know, yeah. uh, wholesale. So I always thought, no, that doesn't make sense. That's not likely. So I always questioned it. And then well, by the t later on, later teens, I, you know, got interested in Eastern philosophy. I actually met the guru, well, met the entourage of the guru Maharaji. Oh, yeah. Who visited in Switzerland while I was there. Yeah. So then the whole gang was getting the knowledge of the guru Maharaji, all this, you know, and I, toyed with that but i was already skeptical about it immediately so you're after. you're a true atheist in the sense that you just you because just yes yeah, i may have know. thought of myself as more agnostic you know briefly at one time or i i thought of myself as an agnostic for a long time but as i thought about it i thought 
why don't I just call myself an atheist until somebody proves as a god to me? You well, know? I, like, the, the, I, mean, I love religions. I love learning about Islam and Christianity and Buddhism and stuff. Just in terms of their, the, the theology is fascinating to me and the philosophy and how it has you know, gotten into us and all that. But for, to then move to me believing that there's an afterlife is a very different thing, yeah. right? That's, you know, that's well, in any case, right? atheism doesn't uh, signify a, a, a belief system. No, that's right. It's that's an right. absence yeah. of belief. That's right. It's, it's not enough proof to be a believer. Yeah. Yeah. You feel you don't have any good yeah. reason to believe that's right. this religion yeah. or that one or that one. Yeah, and, and if someone could show you evidence yeah. that they're that the, you know that that Allah is the ruler saying, of the universe Allah, or whatever, I'm yeah. waving my yeah. flag yeah. for the atheist nation. <laughs> no, yeah. it's not like that. It's, it's so poorly understood, I think, especially by religious people. I think many religious people seem to think, "Wow, it's got to be like you got to believe in something." You know, mm -hmm. it's like, well, no. The whole point is, I mean, you, we all have to have some sort of faith. I mean, like faith has to exist for a variety of reasons. I mean, I. I don't think I could survive my life without sometimes saying to myself, you know what, I'm feeling terrible right now. You know, my mom just passed away last month, you know, you know but things are going to get better. Mm. Like, and there has to be a certain level of faith in that. But that doesn't mean I have to believe in an all-powerful deity that rules yeah. over the universe, right? There are different things. And also, we have to have a certain amount of faith in kind of axioms are like faith-based, right? If you have an axiom, if I have an axiom that individual liberty is the most important you know, thing that I, you know, go by, that's kind of a faith. I mean, that's like, I don't have proof. I mean, I can, no, I can point all. to things to show, but it doesn't prove anything. Every yeah. human system is, a, in a sense, an abstraction. It's a, it's a fiction. That's right. Like, yeah. even you talk about money. Money is not a real thing. You know, yeah. money is not something that has intrinsic value. You can't eat it. You can't dress yourself It's, it's what it. we believe. Because that, you yeah. believe it's yeah. worth something. And that somebody else somebody. does. When I yeah. give you that bill or whatever, that you you believe the same thing as me. That right? kind of stuff. Yeah. Uh, yeah. What I like reading about that is uh, uh, Yuval Noah Harari. Yeah. I find yeah. his his take. I haven't read his stuff, but I, I know I'm familiar. The, with you would stuff. like those books, like yeah. Sapiens and uh, what was it? Lessons. Uh, oh, I, I'll show you the book. Oh, yeah. But really good stuff. And he talks about these things, and he shows <clears throat> all the problems with liberal philosophy because yeah. he said, like anything else, it is a fiction. But you see through it all that he's kind of rooting for liberal philosophy <laughs> to kind of have a chance because yeah. compared to other shit well, going that's on, it, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's just a lot more amenable to human life and, and well-being. Generally, you know? yeah. yeah. So <laughs> maybe it's no more true than... You know, absolutism. But it is a fiction. Yeah. You know, but it yeah. works in a certain way that allows more freedoms than something else. Now, I, me too. I've adopted liberal philosophy. I consider myself a classical liberal. That's the name and of our group, and right? And that's the basis yeah. <laughs> for our discussion group. Yeah. Which is, but although we, we overlap, but don't we have don't share. That's right. There are I different mean, nuances to it. You know, I mean, if, if if you think about each one of us, like I remember my father said once, "Oh, all of you seem to believe the same thing." And I was like, "No, we don't." No. We, I mean, we have a core. There's a, there's probably a certain number of things, as you said, overlap of yeah. things where we would all say well, the individual was, should be that was the, the right. basis that yeah. we we had for discussion. Right, you know, right. To just accept certain premises. 
but beyond that, there's right. a wide Mitch, variety. Mitch yeah. is clearly more and conservative. More conservative. Yeah. And then Mike is is all, he's a all radical out. libertarian. Yeah. Well, a kind of an anarchist, like yes. anti-government, you know. Yeah. And then you've got uh, Sid is sort of a, almost like a uh, conservative patriotic. I mean, he was in oh, the yeah. army, yes, military. Yeah, yeah. He comes from a small town, you know, yeah. and he's and he's, he's he's this is not any kind of a knock on him, obviously, but just his worldview is very different, and yet. You know, the three of us, especially me, him, and Mike, it's interesting when yeah, we talk together dynamic. because it's so different. We have such different views of things. I, but I, I come saw from... Mike clash with you here. Even oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, well, he actually, yeah, he, he, because Mike, one of the things about Mike that's interesting is he really likes a kind of a, a structure where a person tells a long story. He loves to listen to Sid, sort of mm -hmm. give a long lecture. Oh, and yeah. Nobody interrupt him. And that's sort of, and it's interesting because I, I and I I really unrelate to that. I think that's really cool. But I also I grew up in an environment that was very kind of interactive and in how yeah, we communicated yeah, yeah. and more and so it's more like kind of like a lively Give sort of take. Yeah, and it's that's right. And that's it and uh, and Mike and yeah, when we had we had it was something to do with I think because I was interrupting or something. Uh, mad at me. And he was right because I, I probably should have shut up, you know. Uh, but what was interesting was later I talked about it and I said, Listen, you know, I'm you know because he he apologized to me. Uh -huh. It was very kind of him. Uh -huh. And then you know, then we talked about it privately. And then and one of the things he said he said that was interesting is he's Jewish, uh -huh. and he said he said part of the, I think he he said he said he said I think part of the reason why it bothers me so much is that that's what my family was like. You know, you know this kind of raucous, uh -huh. you know, kind of like you know how Jewish families when they're you know, well, kind of all like, you know <laughs> like certain French Canadian yeah. families, like certain Italian yeah, yeah, families. That's true. <laughs> <laughs> it's not an ethnic thing, yeah. definitely, but, but I mean, yeah, I'm just sort of thinking about just the, the the kind of the. I mean, this is sort of a caricature cartoon, you know, caricature of it. But the Woody Allen movies we were seeing sometimes they show there was one where they it was like in his mind and he's remembering the apartment in Brooklyn and they're all sitting in their undershirts and yeah, yeah, yeah. they're all yelling and the kids are all yeah, you know yeah. <laughs> like that. What was know? that called Radio Days? Was that Radio Days? You I know, think but, so. yeah. But just to say, like, I mean, I, it's. Rhoda's sister as the yeah. mother, but but that's that's more of a stylistic thing. Yeah. Mike Mike likes to have a very kind of a. He also likes to have a clearly laid out um, set of things that are clear and and I'm very much like I'm into mysteries and things that can't be um, solved. But so just one thing before we get to the legacy, we'll close with that. But do you just on final thing on this religion? Do you think that your Roman Catholicism has left you with any lasting impact or or the values of, wise not necessarily or, values or but just or psychological well i mean it could be that i mean you could you could i mean you could go down that road but more, do you think i mean this is a you know because i i look at french canadian culture i mean as as a partly i'm a quebecer but i'm not a french canadian so i'm sort of able to see it a little bit from the outside and i see certain things that have lived on mm. That are that appear to be somehow rooted to Catholicism. Somehow, I don't you know, know if it's so I much don't. Catholicism as you know there are some elements in Christianity that have fostered more liberal forms of thought over time. Uh, so, you know, earlier on, I may have been more dismissive of Christianity entirely. I still dismiss it as a belief system. I certainly don't believe it at all. But I live among Christians. Yeah. I, you know, I'm liberal enough to be tolerant and accept <laughs> yeah, well. people having 
other beliefs. Including Christian including beliefs. Christians. Yeah, right, so, obviously. Yeah. You know, I have to live and let live with Christians if I expect them yeah. to live, <laughs> live with atheists like me. So I'm fine with that. But I used to be more dismissive of the idea of Christianity and religion, saying it was much more destructive than otherwise. You think about Inquisition and all this kind of... It's pretty war. easy to find evidence for that. You know, That's almost like shooting fish in a barrel. It's people kind of, slaughtering you know, each other for yeah. having slightly different variations <laughs> of the same goddamn religion. You know, I mean, how so insane absurd. is it that yeah. Sunni slaughter Shias, yeah. you know? The it's Protestant crazy. Reformation killing tens of millions of European, yeah. and Europeans in wars. And yet the Protestant wars, Reformation right? itself had some real progressive aspects Obviously. To it. You, know, you know, one yeah. important thing there, too, was the fact it had tied in with the Gutenberg Bible coming yeah. along. The Gutenberg People Press. reading. People being reading. able to read yeah. the Bible for themselves. Yeah. Or someone, some senior member of the community who could read, who could read. So now the small, the family or the small community reads for themselves yeah. the passage of the Bible. It's not all up to the authority That's of right. the priest That's and right. bishop. That's transformative. I mean, absolutely yes, transformative. Because, because that, it takes away that, that, that sort of authoritative and says, you have to do it. Yeah, you, you, have have to, to, you have to go and read it, figure it out on your own. Be responsible. For your own faith exactly. and your own values. That's right. You yeah. know, you can't just take it all for granted. So the priest is going to tell me what to do. Yeah, and, uh, you oh, know, and, that's easy. Yeah, no, yeah. you have to, yeah. have, you have to yeah. commit for yourself you know, and understand it for yourself. And, you know, the interpretation is that, well, look, these priests were telling us this, but look, if you read yeah, it carefully, it actually says something different, the lesson right? is yeah, a bit yeah, different yeah. here. So all that was very influential. But in general, Christianity did foster certain kinds of attitudes that led to more light and less dark, like less dwelling on superstition, and, and is more. that from Christianity? Because I wanted to ask well, you about that. Because it, it, some people have this idea that in Christianity, and this can exist in other monotheistic, but it's supposed to be your soul has intrinsic value, mm. you know, as a soul, and so does yeah. mine. So therefore, that idea can be transmogrified into you as an individual being a citizen, mm -hmm. have intrinsic value, whether you're a millionaire or you're someone on I the street. Mean, yeah. And that's a very commonly, this is sort of the Jordan Peterson thing, and many yeah. other people have commented on this. And I don't know... Because, you know, I, I argue... So it increased the value of an individual instead I mean, it's, of being a complete peon. We, we don't, we say it's very hard to know because it's like, because I, I remember talking to a Muslim about this exact idea. He said, well, in Islam, the same idea exists and he was pointing it out in the Quran. And then I thought, so, well, then, then the question becomes, why did the only, you know, the enlightenment happened in one place and one time? And, it, you know, it didn't happen in China and it didn't happen. And this is nothing against the Chinese or the Africa. They have magnificent civilizations and everything and all that stuff as well that they did things we didn't do but that particular idea seems to have come up in north northwestern europe in, in the 17th and 18th centuries the, the enlightenment stuff and it, it it may have some connection to christianity i, I don't I think know it connects with you know? other factors that were developing at the time like the uh, exploration uh, world trade yeah. Uh, but you could do all that without but, any idea that humans have intrinsic dignity. Yeah, right? but something that you know? made Europe was different. Like if you consider comparable centers at the time.
time. You say China in itself, it's like Europe. Yeah, much bigger, much bigger and more powerful at that time. It's comparable in that it's an assemblage of different ethnicities within an area of comparable size. India is also comparable. China, though, has always had a kind of a a state system that seems to be somewhat different. Yeah, exactly. You see, like, for example, (laughs) what was the name of that famous admiral there, the Chinese admiral? The one in 14, 1408, he sailed all the way to Madagascar. Exactly. And, yeah, I forget his name, too. And, yeah. and, he and then he got canceled. Yes, <laughs> yeah. because yeah. The, the emperor changed. They, they wanted to have a more close system. They didn't want to open up yeah. to the world. So The bad stifled. emperor problem. It was they, literally the bad emperor they problem. They stifled the yeah. exploration. Meanwhile, Europeans were just getting started. So then the yeah. Portuguese... And later, the Spaniards, you know, the, Spaniards the English, the Some, Dutch. Jared Diamond thought that he posited that one of the reasons why Europe advanced more quickly than, than China did in other yeah. was particularly because the different countries were competing with exactly each other. Exactly what I was right? yeah, 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 yeah. So, That's what yeah, I meant to bring yeah. up. You see, that's the difference between what, Europe, Europe and China, and, uh, China yeah. or India. Right. You see, they had more, uh, the, this fact that you had different states coming up of comparable weight mm-hmm. and Power. challenging England and the Netherlands it's, and France. stimulated and, yeah. technological development. And but that still doesn't get back to just like the anti-slavery movement, for mm-hmm. example, was something that, you know, people ask, oh, you know, how could slavery have existed in, in, in the British Christian Empire or in the United States? The real question is, Slavery existed all through human history. The real question is, how did somebody come up with the idea that it was wrong and then go and try and do that? And that happened in the United Kingdom and in the United mm-hmm. States. You know, and it was a very difficult process. Mm-hmm. And it seems to be based on this idea that no matter what your social station is, mm-hmm. you have a right not to be property of somebody else, mm-hmm. right? And it's, and why did that... I mean, like again, it's probably not an answerable question, but it's, it, why did that emerge when it did and where it did? We don't know. I don't know. Some people think it may be connected to Christianity. I don't know. It could be coincidental. Well, there's, all, be, there's also a you know. deep humanist strain within Christianity, even though yeah. people of you know theological bent, you know, keep you know they dismiss secular humanism yeah. as being wrong mind, wrong headed. It's kind of like a form but, of Christianity, <laughs> right? But in yeah. a way, there is a strong element of humanism in, in Christianity. Christianity and, yeah. and Right. It's true. It's hard. I'd have to read some of this again, but I read some interesting things that made links with how it led to the possibility of thinking, like you said, of a, hu- a human having intrinsic yeah. value. Christianity and, did. You know. yeah. 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 So it's I possible. Think, it's possible. I think there were yeah. some positive influences of Christianity. And certainly some very problematic ones. Definitely, yeah. It's, it's hard to do a balance sheet there. But yeah. an, another another aspect, I think, that could be important it has to do with the printing press and, and, and the rise of the novel. Because the novel, the I mean, people, humans... The time, no, right? no, no, no. Humans had always told stories. But, yeah. you know, hearing a person tell a story is different. If you're reading a novel, mm. you're hearing the internal... Like, if I'm reading mm. your novel, I'm hearing your internal thoughts. Mm. Mm in some senses, which means I can actually empathize with you. So yeah. Stephen Pinker pointed this out in one well, of his books, you know, yeah. right? And so some people think that that may be one of the reasons why mm. this, this concept of empathizing. And so, so if you're, let's say, you know, so all of a sudden, if you're, if you're a person who's, you know, looking at slaves and you're, and you're sort of like, 
oh, all of a sudden you're thinking, what's it like to be that you slave? Like maybe, what if I were, what if I was in his mind, what would I be, oh my God, that'd be terrible. You know, I'm going to, you know, right? You know, so, you know, I don't care, his, his skin's a different color, but that's not enough of a reason yeah. to be, you know, but we wouldn't know. So just to close then, well, what do you think about your legacy? I mean, do you, you have two grandchildren in France and you, I mean, it's a very wide-ranging question. Mm. Do you think about that? Do you... Well, yes, you know, I, I would... I would imagine I you do. Know, look, I don't know mm. how much time I have with them or... You know, this this disease is a bitch. You know, yeah. it's like... Uh, yes, it's literally true. crippling. Yeah. And I've become crippled, you know. So now I've lost use of my right arm and my right leg. I can't walk. I'm slowly losing my good side yeah. even. So it's not pretty, you know, it's not encouraging in that sense, but I keep up a good, pretty good spirits. You seem so, in a pretty good well, mood, I, <laughs> which is I, great. I mean, it's a, well, it's really, because <laughs> I feel it's completely for me. I don't yeah. want to waste all my time yeah, yeah. fretting and being stressed out. Does, does it being about like you? Yeah. <laughs> does it make you sort of? It sounds cliche, but does it make you realize what a gift, an amazing gift it is to be alive? I mean, well, I, I'm very, I'm yeah. very happy be, because to be alive. Yeah. Well, yeah. now I take it. You know, I kind of. I was just thinking about that earlier. That in a way, whatever amount of time that you know, I don't know, this could stretch on for years. Yeah. But I'm going to become immobile. I'll, yeah. I, I'll lose my faculties. See, that kind of forces you to think well, about... Well, I'm thinking now things, of right? the life I have right now. Yeah. I think, well, day by day, it's still a lot of interesting things about it. And I enjoy lots of stuff. I, I'm glad that I could still eat normally. I enjoy yeah. my food very much. And now, yeah. I feel my mouth just exploding with flavors. It's fun. I'm having fun with it. Yeah. Uh, you know, even being stuck in an electric wheelchair now, but I turn it into a game. You know, I zip around like a pro. Hey, you look like you you're know, whizzing around. People here. say, oh my God, you know, the so, drivers in that, you know, adapted transport. Right. Using, they would say, wow, you know, you, for your situation, you know, you're pretty upbeat. But I, yes, I. So just, like but I just said. in terms of the future, like, I mean, yeah. I mean, this is, I mean, it's, it's, you know, I know this is sort of treading on a little bit of delicate ground, but I mean, just thinking about after you're gone, I mean, do you think about that? Like, do you, yeah, yeah like, like, I mean, I, what would you like your descendants and people who've known you to, to know of, about? Me yeah. Like, to, I mean, do you, you know, how would you want to sculpt that? Is that important to you? you know? Well, right. to a point, I mean, I don't have like a body of work, like a writer or somebody or, you know, it's not that kind of legacy. That's right. But yeah, on the true. other hand, I've written things for myself. And I, after Helen died, I think I became a better writer. So Interesting. I learned to express yeah. myself well and succinctly in writing. Do, do you know why that is? I mean, that's an interesting thing. You Just know, you, it has to do with, yeah. again, an implosion of introspection. You know, I forced into myself. So you lost this person who you had shared a life with for yeah. several 38 decades, years. 38 years, right? And so all of a sudden you're alone and you're thinking about things yourself. So you actually are able to articulate better. Is the I articulated right? it in writing and yeah. in, in right. discussion because I immediately started going to support groups. Yeah. For two years I went to support groups and individual grief counseling. Interesting. Uh, and it affected your writing in a very positive well, way. Yeah, it? I yeah, think so because now when I if I write a letter, 
Also, I'm a bit of a stickler for checking my spelling and my sentence structure. You know, I find the English, the quality of the English on the internet is pretty, it's pretty appalling. astoundingly yeah. appalling <laughs> at times, you know. And even I understand it from some people, but some yeah. people I say, my God, yeah. this person should know a bit better. You know, this one woman in France, so she's the opposite. She has this mastery of the French language yeah. like you wouldn't believe. Anything that goes on, she wants to comment on. She writes this really... I love really clearly written French. Like, like what, what, that I can read that just breeze right through. Because that, in English, I don't know if this is biased maybe because my native language. It seems it's easier to do it in English, to, to kind of make things... It seems like French has a more complex when you write, when you're French, writing. French right? is just stuck with a, a somewhat yeah. more formal. Formal, yeah. Which is so me, people who can get through that and write in a clear way in French, I think, are, are Michel Houellebecq, the author. Have you ever read him? No. Yeah, maybe I don't know if you're familiar with him. He's a French writer. I, I read one of his novels, and it was just just fly right through it you know you know no sort of like what's this weird you know they're going around in circles and clauses and stuff you know it can be a bit convoluted but i remember the language skills of uh, jazz critics in the french <laughs> jazz magazine so oh my god you know how the intellectual analysis of all these things and the sociological implications of, I don't know. So like it was Michel a, Foucault listening to jazz or something bit, like that? It? A bit, sometimes. <laughs> yeah. No, overall, it was still interesting. And right. I like reading about music, about jazz. I like reading about movies. Yeah. Now I don't buy those books anymore. You look at everything on, on the right. internet. Yeah. But anyway, just so to just, say, but yeah. uh, the music is definitely something. So this is something, these that, records, these well, are important but somehow. Physically. What's to be done about that? Good question. You know, there's yeah. only certain people that can take it. My daughter can't take it. She's too far away. And she, and she won't play records. Yeah. She won't even take my CDs. Yeah. You see? Now, I'd like her to keep stuff on hard drives or mm -hmm. at least or a few choice CDs, whatever, yeah. and have something to show my grandkids later on. Yeah. You know, I'd like the family pictures, all that, to have a narrative. Uh I'd like to, uh, the art objects, you know, from all these trips and all that. Well, I'd like people to share them, you know, uh, the close family and friends, you know, Carla to keep what she likes. She doesn't necessarily have an interest in keeping all these things, but she should keep her choice things and yeah. close her heart. And whatever she needs, stereo, all this stuff, she can have a good stereo, mm -hmm. you know, but... I, you know, I've been really organizing myself. I find it psychologically satisfying mm. to call and to organize and to find solutions, storage solutions, mm. access solutions, which now I'm really concentrating on. It reminds me of the, the, the Jordan Peterson clean up your room thing. It's, you you have control over that. You can yeah. you can make order out of chaos. Like yeah. you, there's a bunch of these records. They're all disorganized. You can take some of them and throw them yeah. away and give some away and sell some. And then yeah. and then you've taken something that was previously this mess and it's sort of and something that has cleared the air. Cleared the air. And then, so well, you, I have yeah. no problem with most of his ideas. There, I have. Well, I mean that's anything. just yeah. I mean, but I Jordan mean, Peterson, I find it ridiculous how he's demonized <laughs> and supported. He's a bit of an but odd, even oddball character. You, you mentioned. Uh, what's his name? Uh, Pink. Uh, Stephen no. Pinker. Stephen Pinker. Yeah. Also I, a great thinker. I like him very much. Yeah, He's yeah. Canadian, right? Also Montrealer. Yeah. Yeah. 
and yeah. Jewish. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. you see, when I mentioned some of the things, you know, about him, like an old friend, you saw, oh, he sounds like right wing or whatever. <laughs> what, or, Stephen you know, Well, it's like, because <laughs> like, he what? talks about how society, how we can exaggerate the problems of society and distract ourselves because a lot of things are going right. For example, the, uh, what was it? Was it from him? The notion that, let's say there was a newspaper that published only once every 50 years. What would be the latest headline? <laughs> they speculate it could be child mortality has dropped by, you know, 55%. Right, or, right. Because, you know, because it's a 50-year cycle. Yeah. Right. Well, whereas if it's every single day, you can, incremental changes oh, can't be seen. Explosion yeah. here yeah. and crash there. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And yeah. scandal yeah. there. That's Pinker. That's Pinker. Yeah. That incremental, th incremental things. But you he know. says that what do we overall, want? Yeah. let's look at statistics. Yeah. Things are going pretty well more often yeah. than not. There's actually less In wars, aggregate. less strife, yeah. less poverty <laughs> than there used to be. Yeah. Less inequality between yeah. sexes, etc., etc. It's all true. And it's all. But true. then my old friend, who's, you know, it's not that simple, but he's kind of progressive left uh, inclined, let's say, and he he thinks ah oh, that if you think that you you're dismiss, right wing. you're dismissing the, the suffering the of the poor and the the, the, yeah. the actual problems. You're yeah. you're downplaying the problems. Yeah. It's, it's interesting because it's suffering is by definition a subjective phenomenon to some extent, mm -hmm. right? Like I mean, like I mean, there's objective suffering. If I'm starving to death, there's something mm -hmm. that's objectively difficult. But a lot of suffering in the world is kind of like like my mother just passed away, so that's causing a form of suffering. But mm -hmm. that's not like there's nothing that can be done, you know. And that's just something that happens. And people, you know, you stub your toe, and you, you know, there's all kinds of. Like this, there's you get, people are going to suffer through life, and, and and even when we solve one problem of suffering, something else. Would, as humans, we're going to find other things to suffer, mm -hmm. uh, right? It's got. So I don't think Pinker's analysis of I think it's brilliant, and I totally agree with it. Except that it avoids the problem of the permanency of our, you know, the the, the goodness of people and how we can be really good and how we can be really venal and awful and we can have these awful desires and we're no different than we were 10,000 years or 5,000 years ago. You know, the, uh, the, as humans, we get jealous and we get, we, we have happy times together. Those things haven't really changed that much. And I think that's where Pinker is sort of, there's a bit of a blind spot. It's like in that optimism, it's kind of like ignoring the, the, the 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 subjectivity of of things like suffering and also the permanency of positive and ne negative aspects mm. of the human experience I think mm. is the problem. But one thing I just wanted to say before I because I want to close it up obviously is um, you know there's that thing about how uh, you know if if people never really die as long as there are some people who know that person's name I think that's an expression. I of, see that you're alive as long as you still exist in someone's so, memory. Someone's or, memory or people are using or your name. Referring or, to you. Right. Or something. So, I mean, I think about my great, great grandfather, John Nitterly, I think his name was, J.N. McDonald, who, when I was a child, I was told legends about how he helped build the railroad. He was so strong he could pick up a, a, a railway tie on his own. I saw there used to be a picture in my grandfather's house in Ottawa of the whole family when my father was a little baby. And I remember this guy was about four feet wide. I mean, he was huge. And he had this big dour expression. I remember looking at him going, wow, that guy. You know, 
<laughs> you know, and so, you know, so I, I, maybe I can inherit that picture and maybe I can tell that picture to my mm. children when we, you know, when yeah, they come. I'd, I'd like and, to maintain yeah, stories. Right. I, 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 I have certain, the intention yeah. of leaving uh, one project in mind is to leave some recorded messages for my grandkids. Video and audio. Yeah. Yeah. You know, while... Well, maybe they can listen to this. Yes. You know? I, w I yeah. would uh, have them hear this. Yeah. My daughter and her husband. Yeah. Uh, for sure. But what what can I leave behind? You know, material things... I mean... Material things don't matter that much in that much. many sense. There's a few right. nice things, okay? Yeah. Like, uh, who yeah. wants this? You know? But as far as, you know, my who I am and what I... I thought what my your values, my values are and the things, the I good things you I've did. I think I talked and, about my values. Yeah, I, yeah. I've certainly have not been shy. Not the kind, you know me. I'm <laughs> you're, you're not a shy, yeah. No. You're, you're so I've person. talked about my philosophy, about you know my ideas in this level. So, but, but I, you know, I do, I do like the idea of encouraging this my descendants and any generation coming after me i certainly have always uh encouraged curiosity and interest in the arts and in beauty i'm just enamored of music of fine art of painting you know it just these things move me mm -hmm. nature good food you know good cooking uh the you know having a liberal philosophy and allowing other people to enjoy and sharing, not trying to control or manipulate or cheat mm -hmm. anyone. So these values, which tie into the whole classical liberal yeah. worldview, I find... And you hope you can transmit those yes, to some I, extent to your yeah. to, to people, you know, your least, grandchildren, for example. At least right? that it's part of the matrix. Or at least that they understand that you yeah. believed in those, yeah. right? That they were a part of you? Yeah. yeah. Well, well yeah. 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 Anyway, I know my daughter... Uh, yeah. You know, has very good regard for me. Um, she seems she, extremely fond of you when well, I see. Yeah. Certainly, you know, Which makes she's sense. already, you know, been trying to keep the memory of Helen alive with the grandkids. Right. That's got to be tough. Yeah, they were, you know, they, were, they, were, they were not born. They were not born. Yeah. So right. that's tough. I mean, Helen would have been a great grandmother. She would have loved those kids to death. My, this honestly it causes me an enormous amount of sadness that my mother passed away mm -hmm. before I you got a chance, chance yeah, yeah to have didn't. children just because yeah. but I'm I'll do the same thing I have the you know I have the certificate of my mother's conversion mm -hmm. becoming Jewish or passport I can I can I can tell them it probably won't mean that much but it's gonna mean something mm -hmm. because that JN McDonald I never knew him he was long dead by the time mm -hmm. I you know uh, and I know who he was, and I have some idea of what his personality and his character was, and I'm sure that you you will live on in some way among people as well. I just uh, I think that's a great way to uh, to close it out. All right, so I want to thank you for uh, for taking the time. It's been a well, real pleasure. You're very welcome. It was my pleasure. Yeah. All right. Thank you for listening to today's guest on the Mega Blast Podcast. I've been your host, Jason McDonald. This podcast is brought to you by Arts and Opinion, an online journal, which is also available in the permanent archives of Canada. Visit us online at artsandopinion.com. 